When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Knife Talk is sponsored by Even Heat, the manufacturers of the finest heat-treating ovens available. Find your next oven at evenheat-kiln.com. To the chopper! Welcome to Knife Talk, the podcast for knife makers, anybody with interest in knives, Hosted by myself, Craig Lockwood of Chop Knives, Mareko Marmassi of Marmassi Fire Arts, and Jeff Fader of Fader Knives. We bring you a show every single Monday, and this will be the same as any other. So, welcome along. How are you guys? Doing good, doing good. How about you guys? Fine. (laughs) Just fine, just fine. Let's start with what we've been up to this week. Uh, Let's go with Jeff first. What have you been up to? I mean, I've been trying to get back in the shop, but it's... uh... It's been about uh, a little under a month since I got I tested positive for COVID nineteen, and it's very strange in my house where we don't have any. We're not coughing, no fever, no your standard symptoms, but it seems like we're now going into the repair body repair part. Like we're all extra fatigued at the end of the day, and I've been noticing that like my 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 uh, my lung capacity isn't. As good as it was since this whole thing started, even two months ago, I, I started walking my dogs twice a day. And I only do about four miles, two miles in the morning, two miles in the afternoon. And I was feeling good. And then during this whole thing, I just started to notice that my I was getting winded going up the same hill. But, I mean, we're talking about every single day throughout this whole thing. So I'm, we're starting to wonder if it's either because we're wearing masks all the time or because, or because we're, you know, we're, we had, like, lung damage to a certain degree or who knows what but that's that and then my taste is starting to come back which is great i'm starting to i'm starting the i one of the symptoms was i lost my sense of taste and i probably wouldn't have even got tested if it wasn't for the fact that i was having a sip of whiskey and i couldn't even taste all i could taste was the alcohol so i couldn't get any i couldn't tell you any whatever it was i couldn't tell if it was scotch you couldn't tell if it was bourbon you know there there was no complexity and now i'm starting to like bring back all those the complexities of the t- of taste of bold flavors I'm starting to get back, which is kind of nice. It must, it must be like a smoker when they give up smoking and all the taste buds Maybe. Come back, it m- must be. I mean, there were days where my the sides of my tongue were kind of like electric feeling almost. And I, it, was, it was almost like it was, they were numb. It was very strange. But the funny thing is, is also is now all of a sudden people seem to think that I'm the fucking doctor, which is couldn't be. I mean, people are asking me for advice about you know their health and COVID-19 and coronavirus, which is foolish. And I end up having to constantly say, look, 
there is no data. And I, I don't know. I mean, I talk to my wife every night who's a nurse practitioner and she says the same thing. You know, she's just like, there's just no, she just got tested for antibodies and she has the antibodies. And in theory, you think that that's good, but there's no data. So you don't even really know that much. Mm-hmm. And the, the, I had one friend of mine, this guy's this is hilarious. I got a phone call from a friend of mine. He must've been drunk or something. And he goes, um, can you tell me if these, can you tell me about your symptoms when you had it? And I said, well, for me, it was very light. I didn't really have a fever. I had a little bit of chills one night, not by much, but I couldn't taste anything. I was, oh yeah, I couldn't taste something last night. I was like, oh, what couldn't you taste? He goes, I was eating these macadamia nuts and I was thinking, these don't taste like anything. I was like, schmuck. Macadamia nuts don't taste like anything anyway. You're you're like (laughs) judging it off the most tasteless nut of them all. So it was just like, you know, why don't you taste something bold and see if you can taste the complexities? You know, don't start judging your health on a, the flavor of a macadamia nut. We're the same here, mind. If, if me and my wife, we, we cough, we're just like, oh, shit, here we go. You know, yeah. and, it, you know, any little sign of a symptom, we're, we're just thinking the worst. So my, yeah, you, you can't blame My it, sweet right? mother, yeah, uh, my way. sweet mother, it's a couple of weeks ago, my sweet mother who is feeling great. This is, if she doesn't test positive, it will be my personal victory because I've been bringing her her you know her groceries in very you know sanitary ways changing gloves four times changing bags you know being very very careful and i had it and she has no symptoms at, right now i'm knocking on wood she called me up a couple of weeks ago and she goes and this is just unbelievable these these parents this is a parent thing i think she says she says jeff i'm gonna t- i want to talk to you about something i don't want you to get upset don't be mad don't be nervous don't be upset i'm like mom what is it i'm bracing myself i'm gonna sitting there she goes, I coughed yesterday. I said, coughed? I said, how many times? And she goes, once. <laughs> she says, I think I should be tested. I'm like, she clearly needs more ice cream in her life. Come on, man. I'm like, one cough doesn't mean anything. She goes, well, I think that I should be tested. I'm like, well, if you have symptoms, we'll work it out. But if you, she's like, but I coughed yesterday. I'm like, eh, I don't think that coughs it up. So other than that, I've been back in the shop a little bit. Um, and, uh, I was, uh, I was uh, brutalized. By the fans of knife making down under. <laughs> I did hear. I did they, hear. Uh, that. <laughs> now I'm going to set this up with peace and love to my boys, uh, Mert Tansu, Kev, Kev Slattery, and Corin. I can't, still can't pronounce his last name, but fine. I'm with him. Good dudes. I was on the thing with, I was uh, t- chatting with Mert uh, last week or something like that. And he goes, he goes, hey, when do you want to come on the podcast? I said, whenever you want. And he says, okay, we're podcasting in two minutes. So I was like, all right, it was seven o'clock in the morning and I went on and I wasn't, you know, obviously not prepared and it was early in the morning and my, my wife was working from home and my kid was home and I'm like, you know, I have to, I can't just start screaming and cursing. So we had a good time, real good chat. And then, uh, you know, but I had to like, I mean, I wasn't in the Jeep. I wasn't in the shop. I couldn't really like let loose, but at the same time, seven o'clock in the morning, their fans were like, afterwards they were like, that was real PG. How come he wasn't drinking? And. And how, what, what, what happened? That was a, that was very tame. And we were expecting you all to be drunk. And it was like, you know, they were expecting some sort of, I mean, they're, they're, and I, I said it to, I said it to you, Craig, and you said Australians are a different breed. So I salute my boys at uh, the, the Australian version of Knife Talk. And I'm saying that with peace, love, and happiness. And one last thing is one, we have crossover fans, which is great. 
But sometimes some of the people who send us DMs, they'll so some of the questions, I just don't know how they're going to work. Sometimes they just, you know, and it's not willy-nilly. It's just like I'm not sure how these some of the questions are going to work. So sometimes you just don't answer them. Like if we get a lot of stuff about pocket knives, we get a lot of questions about like mm-hmm. um, hunting knives and stuff like that. And sometimes I think like, yeah, I'm looking at all the questions and sometimes it might not work. And sometimes somebody writes something that's so crazy. I'm just like, yeah, get the fuck out of here. So one of our listeners, and I know who it was now that I remember is Nick Tanner. I love you, Nick, but you wrote a question. Here's the, he wrote this question. If you were to shave your testicles, how would you shave, you know, how would you shave them? Or you leave a pattern, whatever like that. So I respond like, get the fuck out of here. I'm not answering that question. So he goes over to the, the Knife Talk Down Under guys, and he says, he screen caps it, he goes, the Knife Talk guys wouldn't answer this question. I thought maybe you would. So in their last episode, I guess they went through the whole thing, and the problem was is Corin, I must, I guess, must have lost the, all the audio. So it's funny because they stole one of our questions and couldn't answer it. So now I think we should steal it back. So the question to you is, guys, if you were to oh, shave Jesus your Christ. scrotum, would you leave anything or would you just go bare? I need to. This is this isn't about the question. This is about the the. This is about the the. Uh, we need to take we need to take back what's ours. Now my my answer is I wouldn't. You could just keep it easy. Yeah, if if you're all in, you're there all you in. There you go. Um, go for go for speed. That's there you go. <laughs> question answer. Question answer. Yeah. <laughs> I only did it one time, and it was specifically for a, a, a surgical procedure, and I was complimented by the doctor. <laughs> what a lovely nuts you have. <laughs> <laughs> he, said, oh, he said, you did a very nice job. Thank you, doctor. <laughs> <laughs> what lovely nuts you have. There we go, my man. All right. That's it. You know, I was I was thinking that you were talking about um, loss of breath and so on, and you're wondering if it's um, because you, maybe because you, you've been wearing a mask, yeah. that kind of thing. And I was thinking that's what pro athletes do, don't they? If they're working out, they they wear these like restrictive masks to um, stop the amount of oxygen getting into their into their lungs, um, and apparently it makes you work harder. Right. Now I wonder. I wonder. Yeah, if you're right, if that is a thing of you know because you've been wearing the mask, your lungs have literally just shrunk a little bit. So now I you're, don't, you're, you're gasping. I don't for know. Air. I mean, some of these masks. I mean, at this point in time, in our theory is is Hillary and my kid and I are not contagious anymore, but I still wear it because I feel like am I? I, I feel like. I'm trying to be protective, and we obviously don't know. And obviously, I would feel terrible if I if someone was sick, and they were like, "Yeah, well, you know, Fader was you know barfing all over the place." Yeah. Well, I think if well, certainly over here, if if, we, if anybody goes out here, everybody, anybody's wearing a right. mask anyway. I went shopping yesterday, and every single person out was wearing a mask. You know, so yeah, yeah I don't know. I uh, we don't know. There's not enough data, so hmm. that's it. What about you, Mareko? How what's your week been like? Uh, I'm working on a. I think I mentioned it last week, actually. I'm working on this big kind of Bowie chef's knife style thing. And yeah. um, it's kind of a weird, or not a weird, but just kind of a crossover blade. The geometry is weird in a, in a little bit, in a in a way. Uh, and I'm actually, I'm thinking uh, my conversation with Dan Keffler about uh, talking talking geometry and stuff like that because um, because it is, you know, it's the knife is designed to be a, uh, a chopper and you can cut through stuff and do some heavy work, but also be, uh, 
you know, have have some decent performance as a chef's knife. And uh, it's mm. it's got a pretty beefy geometry, but it slices through things really great, and I can still chop into things really hard. Um, so I've I've just been kind of how how long is it? It's it's a ten inch knife, right, right. And uh, but it's also yeah, it's and it's uh, what is it? It's like two and a half or two and th- uh, yeah, about two and a half inches tall. So it's pretty wide for a blade, and um. Yeah, it's just been working on getting that refined and cleaned up and everything assembled. It's it's a multi-piece handle. Uh, it's got a guard and a couple space bronze spacers and a moose antler spacer. And then the handle is going to be uh, this beautiful kind of like purple and like d- deep orange cocobolo color. Oh. Uh, or made from this cocobolo wood that has that kind of coloring in it. And... Yeah, it's just, it's kind of slow going. Um, you know, we were talking last week about um, batches versus one-offs. And I always, especially on custom pieces, I, sl- I slow way down and kind of focus one at a time. Because the last thing I need to do is make a mistake and have to start over, which I've done way more times than I want to uh, admit to. But it's the reality. <laughs> and so I've just been kind of taking my time working on that. But other than that, a, a lot of family time. Um, which has been good, and the weather's been beautiful here lately, so enjoying that for sure. But that's it. Nice, nice. What what pattern does this this Bowie kitchen knife have? Uh, like uh, on the blade. So it is mono steel. It's forged out of crew forge V high carbon steel, which is a high vanadium. Oh, okay. Um, okay. Content steel. It's and it's incredibly wear resistant. I did a, I did a different kind of heat treat on it. Um, so that I was doing actually a lot. I, I, I took the blade up to like a 220 grit finish, uh, and pretty close to its finished geometry before actually heat treating it because I knew it was going to be such a nightmare afterward. Um, so, so hopefully the finishing, the hand sanding and finishing work on it should be go pretty easily, especially for a two and a half inch wide by 10 inch long blade. Uh, it's just, a, it's a lot of hand sanding work. Um, a lot of real estate. Yeah, it's a lot of real estate, and so uh, yeah, no, it's it's uh, it's a, it's a mono steel. I don't you know do a lot of mono steels, but um, the last couple of knives actually that I've been working on, uh, last one was W two, and this one's Crew Forge V, and I'm sure there'll be plenty more in the future. But yeah, yeah. So will you put any sort of patina on that at all, or just leave it as a hand sanded finish? Uh, I am gonna do kind of a, like a coffee. I'm gonna try to blacken the blade and do. Uh, I, in in Japanese uh, chef's knives, there's this finish called a, I think it's kuro uchi, uh, which is kind of a dark finish with a bright edge, um, and usually it has some forged texture on it, but it doesn't necessarily always have uh, a forged texture to it uh, on a, a residual brute forge aesthetic. Um, and I am gonna try to play with some new processes to make a really nice, uh, hearty and sturdy dark finish on the blade um, that helps make it more kind of uh, rust resistant or stain resistant yeah. in a way. Nice. Yeah. nice. Any sort of saya, saya or anything like that with it Oh, uh, it's going to get a leather sheath. Uh, he wants a kind of like a shoulder holster style uh, sheath so it kind of hangs on your, on your non-dominant side so you can reach across your body and grab it and just and it pulls right down and it's ready to ready wow. to go. Sounds like a killer. Yeah, it should be an interesting blade when it's all done. Nice. Yeah, for sure. Very nice. What about you, Mr. Craig? 
I saw. I did see your picture of you in this store the other day with your mean mug. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. So it yeah, you know, business as usual around here. Um, everybody's stuck in. Um, on Monday, so this is going live Monday. Um, we've been told on Sunday night that we're going to be told what's going to be happening with regards to easing lockdown slightly. Mm. Um, and I'm not sure how I feel about that. I think um, my wife and I have been speaking. We're going to carry on as normal as we are at the moment but it's going to be nice that maybe we're going to get a bit of post in and the postal service will be working right. again and you know things return to a bit normality around us so that so that'll be quite nice hopefully um yeah so i've been i, I sort of alluded to it last week a bit about um having a, a call on tuesday night with a bunch of people um and i did and it's it's basically about podcasts so um that's what i've been working on this week so there's a, we all know there's a bunch of podcasts out, out there for makers, um, but discoverability is hard. Finding them is hard. Um, so um, I'm planning on putting together a network of podcasts for makers. So it's been it's been a lot of work on that. Um, speaking to you know platforms and ad agencies and all that kind of stuff. So it's it's been a lot of work this week, but um, very different to a normal week for me. And I've loved it. I've absolutely loved it. So um, yeah, I. I'll be talking about more of this, you know, in in the future. It's very early days at the moment, but um, yeah, there's gonna I'm gonna be launching something June the first, mm-hmm. um, which will bring um, more podcasts to people, which 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 I think is a good thing, particularly in this time where I think a lot of people are listening to more and more podcasts. And the way I'm sort of thinking of podcasts at the moment is it's it's become. You know, everybody now knows what a podcast is. You know, two years ago it was it was quite niche, um, but now everybody knows what a podcast is. It, it's it's a household word. Um, but you think of you know sort of like what YouTube was in the early days. That's how I think podcasts are at the moment. And I think if people can get a good sort of stranglehold now, in three years' time, they're going to be you know on on top of the game. So so that's the plan. So a lot of sort of podcast work has been happening this week, and. Um, yeah, not much knife work. <laughs> so there's been 3D printer running again all week, um, doing masks. And I finished now, actually. I did my last yesterday. Um, no more masks for me. Um, What's your final total? Um, um, I don't know. I wasn't really adding them up. I'd say probably about 200, wow. but I wasn't adding them up. Amazing. Um, no. So, yeah, I, I don't know. Um, yeah, and I mean, knife-wise, I mean, I mentioned last week that I'm thinking about the um, what I did for the Knife Talk BA, the build-along knife. I've made a few modifications to that, so it's slightly bigger. Um, and I think I'm going to do a sort of production run of them. Um, so I'll, I'll probably be starting that within the next month. Um, I got the Sustainable Chef Knives, that order of 100, um, which is has come to an end. I'm await, literally awaiting things to arrive in the post so I can get these out to people. Um, yeah, work-wise, that, that's it. It's been sort of office work, <laughs> you know, I'm stuck in front of a computer all week. Um, and... You know, it's what I used to do for a living anyway, um, and and I and I hated it, but um, I've enjoyed it just because I know it's been quite temporary this week, um, and the whole thing of just, you know, when you sort of focus on something and time just disappears, and you're learning something mm. new, and you feel as if you're right in the right in the groove of something, for sure, you know, and it's just everything's just working. It, it's I've had a, a few nights of that this week, and it, it just I don't know. It just makes me feel good. So a lot of it has been learning, learning new things, which, you know, always makes me happy. So so that's been my week. It's been, yeah, a very, a very different one to usual, but um, massively enjoyable. Well, you're always, you always have all sorts of things going on. You, you, you seem to, that seems like your bag. 
Yeah, I... Uh... I, I have this sort of, I mean, we talked about this in the past, and I think the three of us sort of have it, a bit of sort of tunnel vision on something where you, you get locked into something, and that is the most important thing at the moment. Um, but, you know, I'm very aware that I, if I if I catch something, you know, bright and sparkly at the corner of my eye, that's going to get my 100% attention. Um, so as, as much as I've, I've been missed doing knives for the last few weeks, um, it has been nice doing it sort of guilt-free because I haven't been able to do knives because I don't have the stuff here that I need at the moment. I'm waiting for it to arrive. So I've been able to do this other stuff sort of guilt-free. Mm. Um, but I think the minute the, the knife stuff starts rolling back in, um, it's going to be a bit of a juggle again then. But, um, you know, the knives are my main focus, sure. uh, obviously. Mm. So that was our week, what we've been up to. Let's find out if there's any news. I doubt it. Not much has been happening around the world. <laughs> Let's have a look. <laughs> All right, this is the news portion where we talk about news in the knife world. Uh, just, a, just a few quick things. So Blade Show has updated its dates if you haven't gone and checked them out and also figured out if you're going to be there, vending, whatever, go to bladeshow.com. Uh, you can get all those answers questioned or send them an email and figure that stuff out. Uh, Josh Smith's, I almost said Josh Scott, <laughs> Josh Smith's, uh, Big Sky Conference hammering that he was holding in July. Uh, he has canceled that. Uh, that will be rescheduled for next year. He's not pushing the dates out. P.S. Josh Scott's having a hammering. It's called the Little Sky Conference. And that's going to be never. There you go, Josh Scott. <laughs> uh, yes, I, uh, I had a very good week of uh, Peak Skill Coffee. Um, dot com. Peak Skill Coffee and I have kind of teamed up to make a Fader Knives EDC blend. And 70% of the sales goes to feeding the front lines. So that's been great. Go to Peekskill Coffee House, peekskillcoffee.com. Get yourself a bag of um, tasty Fader Knives EDC. Very tasty. And um, it's very, I'll be honest with you, tasting it, it was very, very delicious. And I've gotten a lot of good reviews and people are psyched. And thanks for posting about it. And there you go. Get, get yourself so, some. So tasting note to remember, it's got a heavy body, heavy body. bitter, mm-hmm. slightly nutty, not... and smells of malt liquor. All right, listen to me. It's not bitter at all. It's very, I mean, we they really figured out a very, very easy tasting, delicious coffee. It's delicious. I mean, it's like down the middle delicious. So it's not, doesn't it, it's not fruity. It doesn't have like a lot of sweetness. It doesn't have any, you know, like, you know, it's down the middle good tasting coffee. I like good your like, heavy body. Heavy body. Heavy body. <laughs> heavy body for your heavy body. All right. Hey, man, can I ask you a question? All right. Welcome to Hey, Man, Can I Ask You a Question? This is where you, the listener, get to steer the ship. You get to ask your questions to us, and we'll try to answer them. Hey, Craig, how can they get a hold of us? Aha. Contact us via DM at Knife Talk on Instagram. It's that easy. <laughs> That was very Alan Partridge of me then. Uh-huh. <laughs> I love it. I love it. I love all, I love it. I love it. All right. So the first one comes from, I love this question. This comes from Dustin Young. Hey, cuties. Can I ask you a question? What's the worst job you've ever been asked to do or worst job you've ever taken on? Oh, <laughs> I've had some nasty jobs along the way. Go ahead. 
Um, so I, I always worked from sort of young, even while I was in school, I had jobs and things like that. And, um, so the first one was in like a, like a, like a kid's superstore. It was, I can't remember what it was called. Like a toy store? Uh, yeah, but this, this was like clothes and stuff as well. And I remember I had to wear these like blue dungarees with a yellow t-shirt. I looked, uh, it was the worst thing ever. Oh my it was God. the worst How old were you? Sixteen. And can you imagine being 16 and your mates find out and they, you know, on Saturday afternoon, they'll pop in just to take the piss, you know? Oh. Uh, and you're like, you need to stop because my boss is watching. And, oh, it was just, it was the worst. Um, from there, I went on <laughs> another great job. I worked in a, in a Safeway, um, you know, the, like the superstore. Yeah. Um, but my job was to like, to reduce things like all the, like the fresh goods that were going out of date. It was my job to come in and like mark down the prices, um, ready for them. You know, so they'd be sell off before they go off. Right. Um, but th- you know, the old ladies would catch on to this. So I'd work like three evenings a week, and all the old ladies would come in and they'd like bring over their like their normal shopping that wasn't meant to be reduced, and they'd sort of get the <laughs> fuck out of here. Give me a hug, and the, you know, would you mind just marking these? Da-? And I was just like, I don't give a fuck, you know. Of course, yeah. So I'm putting these reduced stickers <laughs> on, on on anything now, and um. That, yeah, I, w- I must have been sort of 16, 17 then. And I remember there was a time where I just, I, you know what's like 16, 17, yeah, I, you know, you, you, <laughs> the rules you don't really want to apply. So there was a couple of times where I just didn't turn up to work for whatever right. reason. You know, we, we, you know, 16, yeah, 17, sure. you start, you know, going out with your friends right. and you, you meet girls and all the rest of it. And um, when I, you know, when I did go back, nobody realized even. I was like, what? And I'm getting paid and nobody's realizing. So there was times and I was taking like a week off at a time and nobody fuck, knew. Get the fuck I out didn't of have here. I didn't have like a boss, anybody like sort of over me, you know, and nobody under me. I was the only person doing that doing that job. So nobody knew what I was doing, what days I was meant to be in or when I wasn't. You fucking thief. And this went on for months. Oh, no, 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 no. You shouldn't show up for oh. months and you just kept getting the paychecks. You're like, all right, well, let's keep rolling the it, dice. It was, it was, no, I, I would turn up. I'd, I'd maybe go in sort of once. I, let's say I had three shifts a week. I'd maybe go in for one. Nobody, nobody knew, and you know they were evening, so I was doing that time between you know between the time when the store closes and the sort of the night shift comes in. So there was an overlap. So nobody knew what days I was meant to be in, and um, it was great. Oh my god! But all all the staff would come to me as well, and they'd be like. Craig, do you mind uh, reducing these for us, please? You know, for their weekly wow, shops and so on. I'd be like, fucking... of course, I don't, I don't care, and I'm just writing these tickets on things. So you know, nobody was keen for me to leave. I don't think anyway, because nobody's having a sweet deal. Holy shit! You what a <laughs> bunch of fucking underhanded thugs. That's unbelievable. And you know what? Safeways went out of business. Oh, you don't say. No longer. Is... Oh, really? Oh, what a big surprise! <laughs> They're no longer around. So yeah. you're telling me? So you're telling me that you used to. And no one, you'd have nobody you were working, no one was working over you and no one would say, all right, I'm just not coming in. Yeah, I had no sort of direct sort of supervisor at all. So it was just like, oh, okay. That's you know, crazy. I meant to do three shifts a week. And because I was in school, they were like, well, you know, do your three shifts, whatever days suit you. You know, it makes no difference what days you're in. And no one ever like, caught oh. you and you just quit the job? I just quit the job oh, after geez. a while. So I just you know what <laughs> stress was getting to me, thinking I'm going to get caught. You're a smart guy because you cut you cut while you had a chance before they before the bobbies <laughs> showed up and put you in the clink. Jeez, yeah, it was. Uh, yeah, those were the days. <laughs> <laughs> Sweet deal. Hey, Mareko, the question was, what is the worst job you've ever had? So, been asked. It says been asked to do right. 
So does that mean wait? Or, does that mean whatever knife project I mean, or job? Whatever you want, we can you oh. know. Right. So you know whatever you want. Oh man, I'm trying to think. I think one of the worst jobs I remember ever having. I've had I've had like over twenty different jobs. What and one of the worst ones was working a warehouse job when I was like in my early twenties, um, where I was getting up at like four four thirty in the morning, four o'clock in the morning, going to work and stocking a warehouse, and uh, it was kind of soul killing, basically. <laughs> It was pretty terrible. No. <laughs> yeah. uh, that that one didn't last very long. It was maybe seven or eight months. Um, but it was just, you know, it was one of those jobs. I think what, what made it the worst, I probably could have adjusted to the, it's not necessarily the time, but it was the, you know, I worked with some good people, but uh, the, the management was terrible. And I've, like, every job I've ever really just not really enjoyed, it's always been people who are in management who aren't good at managing people. And, um, <laughs> yeah. you know. The end of your day is supposed to be coming up at around whatever time you have your, you're like your head's mentally there. You're ready to, to head off, especially when you're a dumb early twenties kid and you got your own shit you want to do. Um, and then they like, basically they would put some extreme pressure on us to like stay for another sometimes three or four hours because like maybe a delivery truck would get there late and, um, and it had to get unloaded and, the the merchandise or you know whatever the shit was in it. it had to get stocked and it was just it was a lot of that all the fucking time and uh it was mm. it was drained it was draining and i i couldn't hang on at that time it was pretty frustrating so that's probably the worst job i ever had um what about knife wise what's what's been the worst you've been asked to do um so like crazy designs anything like that at all sure i mean i've been asked to do a lot of st- dumb stuff but i've never i've never taken on anything that i didn't feel comfortable doing but one of the one of the projects that's given me the most trouble has been this this uh this knife project this knife build that i was trying i've been trying to incorporate gold in the project in some way and it's just been a it's been over a year now it's been a slog trying to figure this out and it's it's been so frustrating and and so much of my own time is basically gone to waste um trying to figure this out because i'm you know figuring out how to make it work and i'm not getting paid to do this um you know i get paid when the project's done but that's it and so um i'm at the point where i'm about to say that it's just not gonna happen at least at least not i don't have the skills to you know i don't do hardly any or basically any work with precious metals um so yeah i think i'm i'm about to throw in the towel on this one and say you know it's not going to happen. Um, otherwise they, they'll be happy with the, the rest of the knife. It's just not going to have gold incorporated in it. And, and I feel bad because it's been a huge delay. Obviously, like I said, it's been over a year now. It's been a delay for the customer. Fortunately, the customer is very understanding, but at the same time, like it wears on me feeling Mm -hmm. that, that sense of, uh, like you, like you're disappointing somebody or letting somebody down. It's yeah. one of those things that you want to do something yeah. like new and cool, but if you're doing something new, you don't necessarily have the experience, you know, to, to, to back it up. And obviously, right. you want to give your best work to customers. It's yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. Hmm. Okay, Jeff, what have you got? The worst job you've ever taken on or asked to do? The worst job I've ever done. I've, the worst job I ever had was also the highest paying job I've ever had. I when I was a kid, I used to 
clean uh, in Manhattan, there are these trees along the streets. <clears throat> and <clears throat> pardon me. And on 62nd Street, between Lexington and Park, Lexington and Fifth, I'd clean the tree pits, and they were like 60. And if you clean them once a week, you know they stay pretty clean. You're picking up dog shit, you're picking up cigarette butts, but in a week they don't get as filthy as you think. So if you know you can whip past. So after you know a few weeks. You know, I was doing all 60 of them in 45 minutes, and they were paying me like 100 bucks a week to do them. And the only gross part was obviously I was picking up dog shit and, and like cigarette butts and stuff. And then one guy almost, his dog almost peed on me, and, and, I, and I let him know. I said, excuse me. If, he wasn't paying attention. His dog was sniffing around me. I was like, well, sir, if, you're, if your dog pees on me, I'm going to pee on it. And then they got, there was word got out of the Fifth Avenue – now, the Park Avenue, there's, there are these islands. They're very iconic. There are these islands in the middle of Park Avenue with uh, flowers and stuff. And I used to clean from 54th Street to 79th Street. And I'd go up and with a stick and a bag, and I did that, and that took me about an hour. So now we're getting 100 bucks for that. So, you know, <laughs> less than two hours a week, I was making 200 bucks. But it was, deal. it was a sweet deal, but then there was like this – they were worried that don't just if there's any homeless people, just stay away from them. I'm like, all right, I saw a homeless guy and run away, you know. So it was very, uh, it was disgusting, and I always felt like I smelled terrible afterwards. But it was fast. <laughs> it was still paid the best hourly rate I ever had, and uh, there we are picking up dog shit. And the only other bad experience I've ever had was when I was helping open up a restaurant in the morning and I had to leave. I had to be there for service. It was, I had to be there. I had left my house at three o'clock in the morning. It was, I was living in Brooklyn and these guys started following me and I would really want to do the job. But I was like, oh, these guys are following me. And one guy says, Hey man, can you spare some money? And I'm like, nah, wait, I don't have any money. And he goes, well, we're just going to follow you until you give us some money. And I turned to him and I said, very matter of factly, because it was so, it was so, I was like, I said, excuse me, if I'm going to work at three o'clock in the morning, what makes you assume I have any money? Like, if I had any money, I wouldn't be going to work at three o'clock in the morning. And all of a sudden they just looked at each other and like, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And they just turned around and walked away and looked for somebody else. (laughs) So it was like, I was just being very honest. Like, if I had money, I wouldn't be going to work at three o'clock in the morning. Mm. So makes sense. (laughs) Makes sense. There you go. Okay. Let's do another. Hey, man. Can I ask you a question? Red Snake Forge asks, um, what is, and he wants all of our opinions, on knives without epoxy? So just using a mechanical connection, no epoxies or glues whatsoever. What have you got, Morocco? Uh, I think it's definitely a viable option, but uh, you you got to make sure everything is right and tight. Uh, there are a lot of, some of the, world's best makers build uh these kind of knives that are called takedown knives mm-hmm. uh, especially when you're re- regarding we have folding blades or not folding blades fixed blades um and they are very elaborate but also super functional um they're held together basically by a bolt at the butt of the handle um but the reason that works is because everything else within uh, fits very nicely and very snugly. Uh, they have all these different indexing pins that help make sure everything's in a line and keyed together so that once that nut is or bolt is tightened up, you know, nothing's moving anywhere. And so, and, and then also just thinking about like, like, uh, like, uh, what was it? Jeff Jeff was referring to Reed Schwartz last week 
I believe he he does like a pin tang, uh, which is basically it's an old world technique of attaching a handle. Uh, you know, you you see it in Viking swords and all kinds of other stuff, but it's essentially the tang runs all the way through the handle uh, and also through some sort of a washer, and then is and is softened so and it's ready to just lightly hammer and peen it down, and it basically rivets the handle material into place. Uh, I think they're they're definitely viable options, but you got to do the work to make sure things fit right and go together nicely. Otherwise, it's just not going to happen, you know. Yeah. So, so like epoxy will give you, um, let's say your tolerances aren't, you know, crazy crazy sharp. That epoxy will give you almost a little bit of a buffer as well, I suppose. You know, absolutely, it, yeah, sure. And and for me, you know, an epoxy will sort of seal things up a bit because you know, let's say it's a mechanical connection, you could get some dirt or crap or dust under, let's say, a liner or something. Um, and if it's epoxy down, obviously, it's, it's creating that, that sort of barrier, that shield. Um, so, yeah, all of my knives use epoxy. Um, I can't see why I wouldn't, unless I wanted to do something where maybe you had detachable handles and you had a bunch of different handles, mm-hmm. you could change them out, that kind of thing. But, yeah, I, I can't see why you wouldn't, really. H- handle of the day. Exactly, yeah. My my Monday handle, for example, yeah. <laughs> That's yeah. I mean, I same. I, I use it as a gasket, or <clears throat> pardon me, or as a sealant. I know that uh, a lot of uh, knife makers who make uh, folding knives don't use rivets; they use screws, and so they can mm. take it apart to clean the parts. Um, mm. But other than that, from the knives that I make, I just want. I don't want water or liquid getting in between the scales and the and the knife or anything like that. So I just kind of I use the epoxy and I I see because I use Corby bolts. I really see that as a, a sealant or a gasket. Mm. Yeah, makes sense. Thanks. Do you want to take the next one, uh, Marco? Yeah, this next one is from Hampton Forge Works. Uh, if it's not too late, I have a super important question for the podcast: Tupac or Biggie? <laughs> what do you think, Craig? Uh, neither. It's just not my bag. Um, <laughs> we should answer. Yeah. It. I mean, those were out, what, what sort of, sort of mid nineties, yeah. you know, and you know, during that time I was into sort of guitar music and into sort of band music, that mm. kind of thing. So emo. never, never really been into emo, uh, <laughs> uh, emo not quite, not quite. Yeah. As, as I'm in my black room with yeah, my black, black t-shirt on <laughs> emo. and your dyed black hair. <laughs> <laughs> Like fucking Katie Lang, <laughs> like Elvis in the seventies. Uh. Uh, yeah. So yeah, Tupac or Biggie? Uh, neither for me. Um, mm. Never really sort of appreciated that kind of music. Um, but I just never really got into it. I suppose. Sure. Well, it was all a dream. I used to read Word Up magazine. Oh, yeah. Salt and Pepper and Heavy D up in this limousine. I am a Biggie Smalls guy. East Coast all day. I grew up listening to Eric B and Rakim. I listen to all the guys from the East Coast. I'm a biggie. I'm all day biggie. I'm East Coast all the time. That's your answer. But I do. Yeah. I got to college. My college friends from California, Dave, who listens to the podcast, DLC, he got me into West Coast rap. So he got me into sure. Ice Cube and NWA. And I really, really, thanks to him, I started to listen to the West Coast stuff. And he got me into Tupac. Uh, Tupac and I enjoyed it, but I'm I'm East Coast all the time, all the day, every day. Is is there a difference in style between East Coast and West Coast? I always felt that there was, and you know, I I I don't know what it is. I couldn't tell you what it was, but I just you know, it's funny because I'm starting. There, I I 
with all this going on, I'm looking for little things to kind of cheer me up. And there's this one Instagram. This this question reminds me of this new Instagram profile that I'm following that makes me laugh every time. And I'm embarrassed to say it, but I'm not embarrassed to say it. It's called Crime Faces. <laughs> I've seen. It, I sent yeah. it to you. I said Crime Faces <laughs> is Marek. You got to watch. This. I, I, unfortunately, it's all these East Coast fights, but it's like narrated by this dude from the Bronx, and it's okay. like. <laughs> hilarious it's all about the narration the, it's, the narration is amazing the na- the, yeah the dude is like straight up the bronx it's hilarious he's t- fantastic so it totally reminds yeah. me of like you know that you know i i don't know there's if you grew up in i mean i grew up in manhattan and brooklyn and new york and 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 east coast rap always had this flair fever of there's a flavor that i can kind of not really understand but i just it was it was part of the the background of New York, and I just, I love it. Is, is that why these rappers, that are always talking about sort of how much money they got, how many cars they've got, and they're, and they're bitches, as they like to call them. <laughs> is, it because, is it because of the rivalry between the two and they're trying to up, one-up on each other, do you think? I, I, do you think that, that's what causes that content? You know what the funny thing is, is my kid is 15, and she likes hip-hop. But, like, the new stuff now, I mean, when I, I'm not saying that I was, like, you know, big, you know, Mr. Wu-Tang Clan or anything like that. I, I liked listening to, I liked rap when I was younger, but I liked old school. I liked listening. Wuhan Clan you're in now. Now now you've got the COVID, you're in the Wuhan Clan. <laughs> How dare you, sir. But I, I, I definitely liked, you know, the BC Boys and I liked listening, watching OEO MTV raps and I, I liked the whole thing. I try to explain to her that old school rap is so much better than what's going on now. That I don't really, I don't understand the whole, you know, the my bitches and the in the you know, in the money thing. Mm. But like, there are certain dudes who used to tell stories that I just loved. I just, I just loved it, and I just East Coast guys. I'm, I'm not a big rap guy, but I used to love it when I was younger. And but I didn't like. I wasn't like, uh, you know, I wasn't getting like cross colors, and you know, I wasn't like talking like Eminem or anything <laughs> like that. I was just like this, and I was talking just like this. I wasn't like, you know, I don't say like street slang i wasn't about that i yeah. wasn't about yeah. that what, what have you got Morocco? you east coast west coast uh i'm definitely a bigger biggie fan than tupac but i will say i do love like nwa and uh and dr dre and all that kind of stuff uh but yeah i don't know it's just it's not necessarily east coast or west coast to me it's, it's more of just a preference of the sound yeah if i like mm. the sound I no, bought Tupac I albums. I they're great. Sure. But I just think, you know, I kind of felt like I, I, saw, I saw more people East Coast guys. Okay, we're talking. Let's yeah. talk about Knives, for God's sakes. We're talking about Biggie and Tupac. <laughs> Tribe so Called the, Quest is another big one I like listening to. Yeah, Tribe Called Quest. Tribe's really good. All right. <laughs> Brand Nubians. Oh. Yeah. Good. All that old school stuff. We done? Yeah, we're done. All right. <laughs> Spiffy Keen dude. Spiffy Keen dude wants to know, I know I can't put my good knives in the dishwasher, but why? I can cut into a searing hot steak and not ruin the temper, but the dishwasher will fuck it up? Please explain. <laughs> Spiffy Keen dude. I suppose this goes back to the uh, the epoxy question about right. it, I suppose. Um, and what I find is I've done some testing putting stuff in dishwashers, you know, multiple times over and over again. That what I see, what seems to happen is if you take it out of the dishwasher when the dishwasher finishes, it's not too bad. It's not going to do that that too much damage. But if you let it sit in the dishwasher, what happens is um, the steam, lots and lots of steam generates, 
Um, and that will, uh, you know, if you've got a wooden handle, for example, that's just going to sort of swell the wood. Um, but, you know, regards to the, the steel, if it's a stainless steel, you're not really going to do too much damage to it. Another thing is that, you know, you generally have those racks that you put knives and cutlery into and everything will sort of rattle against each other. So if you've got yeah. a fine edge, you know, it's rattling against other cutlery. Yeah. Um, but obviously, if you've got a high carbon steel knife, you'd want to be putting that anywhere near the dishwasher just because, you know, the amount of water that's being sort of swished around. But, um, yeah, I find it's the steam, really, that does the damage, not necessarily the hot water and the well, jets. People also put the knife, the blade edge down. And that'll just mm. rattle around on the blade edge, wherever the on the rack of whatever it is, and that can fuck your bit, your, yeah. your blade up. But yeah, it has nothing to do with the temper. Um, it's completely to do with, you know, damage that can be done if it's a carbon steel knife, or you know, your handles, your shit's going to get in between the handle, and as soon as stuff gets in between the handle, that's when you get the problem. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, and you know, like Craig was saying, on, on the racks, you know, there's all kinds of stuff that other things that you put in there, ceramic yeah. dishes, other metal uh, like spatulas and whatever, what have you. You know, if your if your fine cutting edge is clanking against that shit, it's gonna start yeah. damaging it. It's and like Jeff said, it's definitely not about the exposure to heat regarding the steel and the temper. You know, it'd have to get up to 350 degrees. Um, or 400 or plus to st really start doing anything possibly. Um, but also the other problem is that the detergents that you use in your dishwasher are different from this than the sink side uh, detergents that you use to, you know, that you just have sitting on the, on the edge of your sink uh, in, in your kitchen. Uh, the, the, the one, the detergents in the dishwasher are of, are of a much more caustic nature and sodium chloride is a major, uh, uh, it's part of the kind of the the recipe for a lot of these detergents. And if any of that ends up sitting on your knife, uh, even in the tiniest little water droplet, uh, it will start eating a hole into your the surface of your blade. And uh, who is it? It's uh, Crucible who makes, uh, uh, what is it? Uh, CPM 154. They, they, you know, I've sat in on talks about and them talking about their steels and all this different stuff and, uh, uh, and just giving presentations. And they were talking about the corrosion resistance. And they even said, you know, even with a properly heat treated knife and it's stainless, you know, stain, stainless steel literally stains less than carbon steel, but it's not stain, stain impervious. And so yeah. these things, these detergents, um, they have stuff in them that will start eating away at your blade and even, especially down at the, the thinnest at your, at your cutting edge, that is the thinnest, most delicate part of your knife. Uh, that is where it will corrode the quickest. And so, yeah, that, that's, mm. uh, it's more than the temper. It's not it actually, like Jeff said, it's nothing to do with the temper. It's, it's about everything else that's going on in there and the rest of the the, the construction yeah. of the blade one thing and another me sorry go ahead sorry go on please Jeff. Go please on. another thing to consider is that a lot of people put salt in their uh dishwashers to soften the water and that might leave a residue so if you've got a, any sort of wooden handle as well as the swelling from the uh steam and so on yeah. um you may have a, like a salt residue left on it which is going to you know keep sort of drying it out over time as well when you when you put the knife away and I learned this recently is don't put your Kydex sheaths in your dishwasher because some of your dishwashers run the water hotter than you realize. And it will take out 
some of the uh, the the complexity of your you know loosen it'll make your noodle loose make sure you get a limp noodle your kydex sheets <laughs> completely lose all their detail so yeah careful with that 300 mm-hmm. degrees is all it takes there we go there we go next one is from maximus knives hey fellas what is your favorite pan type and size that you utilize the most for cooking um example stainless non-stick exactly etc your favorite pan everybody has a favorite pan don't they what, what's sure. what's what's your favorite pans Anyway, go ahead. Bro. I'll jump in. <laughs> yeah, uh, I like a good ten inch. Uh, I, I prefer. <laughs> there yeah, we go. <laughs> a big right. ten inch right, heavy well. cast iron pan. Um, but it depends on what I'm cooking, really. So you know, I uh, I like that as a general use. But if I'm doing it in like an acidic sauce, uh, I'll go for my stainless. Or uh, I mean, I don't have carbon steel, but. I, I might go for carbon steel. Probably not, actually. I'd probably go for the stainless for this, for uh, a, like a tomato sauce or something like that. But when it comes to eggs, I definitely have like a little eight-inch uh, nonstick that just makes life so much easier. Mm. <laughs> just yeah. to have the right tool for the job. You know, you can make it happen with cast iron or carbon steel to make them very nonstick. But just to have that one laying around, it's also great for pancakes too. Um, you know, it just makes, makes things easier. What about you guys? I use a, I use the same pan every day for most things. Mm. Um, so it's a Le Creuset, um, like a casserole sort of, uh, pan. It's, it's cast iron with that sort of ceramic coating. Um, and I'd say we use that pan every day for something or other, you know, we've nice. got other pans, which, you know, we may sort of fry an egg in that kind of stuff, but, um, yeah, that, that Le Creuset, it was a wedding gift, so that's coming on, what, seven years? And I'd say it's been used 300 days of the year. Yeah. It's oh, always wow. being used. Good, and um, and funnily enough, we were just looking just the other night to get a set of uh, frying pans. So these, this has got, you know, it's like a casserole. It's got like a high high edges, you know. So we're looking at things with a short red, and we were looking online the other day to, you know, as soon as we're out of lockdown, what can we go and yeah. buy? Um, we're off to buy pans, so they'll be uh, Le Creuset's as well, just because they last forever. And they, wow. they they hold their heat. They're incredible. Big spender. Those aren't cheap. Well, it's it's one of those things that you can, you can buy a cheap I, pan and buy a cheap pan every year, or you can I, buy a good pan. And I agree. I agree. I I have uh, I have two all clad pans. That I love one big old uh, saute pan and one rondo. Rondo is flat bottom, and then it's got like a two or three inch uh, sides, and you, it's great for braising mm. and stuff like that. And then I have a I have some nonstick pans that I I don't spend a lot of money on. And when they start to, the nonstick starts to kind of fall apart, I get rid of them and get something new. I I try to use as much wooden spoons as possible. But yeah, uh, yeah, after a couple of years, all of a sudden you got, (laughs) you're flaking off dirty. Yeah. So, and something, I also, one thing I say is I like the handles that I can put in the oven. Uh, I don't like rubber handles. Oh yeah, for sure. Anything plastic handles, anything I, I like all pans I like to go in the oven, so. Yeah. And that's the big thing with these Le Creuset's, you know, you can just bang them straight in and right. um we we use them to bake bread in as well, so because uh, you know, they're a good shape for a loaf. <laughs> You're um, a good shape for a loaf. And with that said, <laughs> what do you do for when you guys get your grinders? We got to go to Broadbeck Ironworks, right? They make a 2 by 72 grinder. 
They're knife. They're made by knife makers for knife makers. Cr- incredibly versatile and intuitive. There's a long platen, long worst work rest that adjusts from side to side. Uh, you can. There's a pivot so you can use it horizontally or vertically. There's a lot of different attachments uh, available, and they're very relatively inexpensively priced because they're not on arms. You can just attach it to the uh, flat uh, to the slack belt attachment. Um, you don't need a wrench to change anything. Everything is uh, put together in flat rate boxes. So the price of the shipping is included in the price of the of the grinder. So when you go to broadbackironworks.com, you see the price. Shipping's included, which is awesome. Um, these guys are great. Uh, they're working on some new attachments that they like, that they want to use, one for integral knives. One, uh, they want to have a surface grinder attachment, and they're trying to figure out ways in which to be the most efficient as possible and give you the most amount of value they can. Uh, that's why it's not painted. That's why, that's why you put it together. You save on that. Uh, everything's very intuitive. They're great guys, and they're making grinders for people based on the stuff that they like about grinders. So go follow them uh, on Instagram, Broadback Ironworks. They're always having sales. But if you use Knife Talk 5, when you go to broadbackironworks.com, you will get 5% off on, on your order, which is great. So go follow Vince and, and Ryan. They're doing a great job. Um, and boom, broadbackironworks.com. There we go. There we go. Shall we move on with the please, next question? Please. Yeah. Uh, Ego Hunter says, Hello, KTP. Is there a book or correct information on the internet for knife geometry? Uh, I want to learn more about knife geometry before I even think about starting on my own. I'm not a chef, nor am I a hobby cook. Um, how does he eat? Jeez. I don't know much about the whole geometry <laughs> thing. I hope you guys can help me. Uh, love the part. He also says the only way you can give a review on Spotify. Um, I don't think there is on Spotify. No, I think it's all um, either Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts for reviews. But, um, John, this is probably a good one for you to start with, uh, Morocco. Um, any information out there on good geometry, books or anything? All of mine, unfortunately, is from my own experience. Um, yeah, I will say that different knives require different geometries. You're not going to use the same geometry on a paring knife to a a cleaver, to a chef's knife, to a slicer and so on. Um, There are some books out there. I cannot think of any of the names off the top of my head. So that's not very helpful. Um, But you can, I think if you look up like it usually has to do with knife sharpening or knife uh, or possibly I think most of them are based around uh, sh- like knife sharpening. Um, they talk about geometries. Uh, other other good people that might be uh, worth trying to reach out to and talk- ask about this uh, is uh, John Broida from Japanese Knife Imports. He's got a knife, sh- uh, a Japanese import shop in in Los Angeles, and he's uh, he's touted as possibly one of the best stone sharpeners in the country on the US and so he could be a good resource but regarding actual specific geometry I think the reality is that just as there are so many different people who use chef's knives they they each have an opinion on how they like the knife to cut and I think I think the the best thing that a maker can do is uh, you know, practice their skills so they can kind of do uh, a lot of different stuff based on what somebody specifically wants, especially if they're going to be taking custom orders. Um, if you're not going to be taking custom orders, uh, it, the, the, I think you got to figure out a style and a geometry that you like uh, and that you also get good feedback on and then just kind of hone in on that. Um, 
because that's going to, that's going to be one of the major selling points that, or not one of the major selling points, but that's going to be a, a selling point for people is like what the specific geometry is because, you know, like I said, there's a wide spectrum and, um, and, and people definitely get a little tribalistic about them. Though there are some collectors who like various, they like an S grind or a flat grind and a, and a convex grind and uh, everything far in, in between. And so, you know, there, I don't know. There, there, I don't think there's, I guess basically what I'm rambling on and saying is that I don't think there is a necessarily one specific style of geometry that you can put on every single knife. That is, that just is not realistic. Um, yeah, yeah. I think practice and feedback is really going to make, um, uh, help inform you the best. And I think also, you know, pick up when you're looking at sharpening books, also pick up a knife skill book and learn how to use the knife. And then based on those experiences of using that knife will also give you your own feedback. That's mm. good. Yeah. I I've got a couple of books that I, I sort of refer to every now and again. So um one is called Sharp and I think it's written by uh Bernal Cutlery. Yeah, he's in um, San Francisco. Yes, yeah, and they've got a shop there. So it explains, you know, different types of grinds and all that kind of thing. Um and the other one is I'm trying, I think it's just called Knife actually. Um, and it just lists, you know, hundreds of different types of knife, mm -hmm. and it's got all the specs on them, and it's got a good picture. Um, so, you know, you get sort of feel for the kind of stuff you like. But then, I mean, just, just just go out and buy, you know, go to a store and buy, you know, maybe spend, you know, $100 and buy, you know, a, a couple of knives and, and just see, you know, what you like using. I mean, you do say you, you don't cook much, um, but, you know, maybe you need to see what works, you know, particularly what you like. So yeah, I, uh, that that's sort of the biggest advice really is start cooking and um, and and using different knives and see what works. And for you, you don't have to start buying foie gras lobes and stuff like that. You know, the the a mm -hmm. knife, you know, cutting the cutting qualities of knives. A lot of just your standard chef's knife is ve is vegetables. You know, you know, uh, cutting a steak isn't necessarily going to tell you what you need to know, but if you're oh, cutting a yeah. carrot and it shoots across the room. <laughs> your your knife yeah. geometry isn't right. I think that doing knife skill, uh, learning how to use how people cut onions, learning how to pe how people cut vegetables, having basic knife skills will give you your own guide to well, this is working well, this isn't working well. Why is this doing this and why is this doing that? Because I've bought, I remember buying one of those Japanese debas when I was when I was like in my twenties, and it had a convex on one side and an angle on the other. I cut and I was like, what the fuck just happened? It was a fish knife, but I didn't realize it. I had no idea, and it was like. I cut a carrot. And I was like, "This is not right at all. This isn't what's supposed to happen." And I and I'd never even I didn't use it anymore because I had no idea. So getting yourself familiar with these things is what's going to help. And there are lots of books out there, but they're not going to necessarily tell you exactly. You know, everyone tells you, you know, what what angle do you sharpen at? What a, you know, fifteen degrees, twenty degrees, seventeen degrees. All for outdoor knives, twenty five. You need to kind of understand what it feels like. You know, and then yeah. then you'll be able to have a better understanding because getting reading information, you don't understand it. You you can resuscitate you can resuscitate it. You can regurgitate it, but you might not necessarily be able to use it practically. So that's the answer. right. I, th I think one other thing I could suggest to somebody is uh, to reach out to a retailer, and and they are exposed to a wide to that wide spectrum of people looking for all kinds of different stuff, but they could probably help 
point you in the direction of this style of geometry and probably even you know the uh, the, the few that i retailers i know uh who specialize in uh kind of like uh what handcrafted uh chef's knives and or kind of like boutique kind of shops uh, they have calipers on hand they can take some specs for you and say you know at a centimeter or you know half an inch from the cutting edge is how thick it is and kind of map it out and just to kind of give you some idea of like all right a, a, a thin or a, a convex grind on a whatever a two inch wide uh gudo made by this maker has this kind of geometry but i think like I said before, the, the biggest thing you can do for yourself is to really understand, take the time to understand the tool that you're trying to make. Uh, know it for yourself. So you have not not only are you saying that you're making that thing, but you have that confidence uh, within yourself of the, of the quality of that tool that you're making. Yeah, yeah. And a, a lot of it will be, I mean, you'll see knives maybe in a store and they'll use... They'll use the type of grind, whether it's an S grind or a convex grind. It's almost like marketing speak. That doesn't say how good the knife is going to cut. That's all down to the maker. And as you know, as a general rule of thumb, the thinner the edge, the easier it's going to cut. You know, if you just start in trust. So don't get too hung up on whether it's an S grind or whether it's a convex grind or what you need to be doing. Just just get something that cuts well and then sort of refine from there. And don't trust these cooks and chefs. Because most of these motherfuckers don't know what the fuck they're talking about. Seriously. No. Honestly. They don't. A lot of times, <laughs> you you use what you feel comfortable with. And, you, you know, without, you know, most of these guys, they don't try a million different knives. They get what they like, and then they use what they like. You know, and then they're just used to it. So, don't trust those guys. Cooks, they tell me yeah. some stuff. You hear some stuff from some of these cooks, and it's just like, hey, man, let's just, you know, just keep to the hot, you know, go, you go back to your hot dog cart and leave me the fuck alone. <laughs> All right. Ready for the next one? All the time. All right. This next one's from Agent Zier. He says, what are some different tong styles and uses? Should I even get a variety if I can just weld a re, uh, weld on a rebar rod? Is that the cheat? Sorry. Is that the cheater way out? Tongs. Different tong styles. What do you think, Jeff? You can never have enough tong tongs. Master. I love... I love... <laughs> tongs um i used to be very cheap but the pro the funny thing is is if you have one pair of tongs you're like you just get comfortable using them that's great but if you can make your life easier with tongs with different size tongs like there's going to be different sizes like some tongs will pick an inch some will pick up two inches if you just get variations or make them yourself then you have um you have a little bit more you'll be more comfortable when you're holding the material and when you're comfortable holding the material, you're more efficient. You don't have a lot of time when that when you pull anything out of the fire. Of course, if you're making, I know a lot of guys when they're making um, when they're making Damascus, they forge on a piece, they weld on a piece of uh, rebar just to hold it. Great, good, God bless you. But I mean, yeah. sometimes you can't do that with everything. And there's no cheating. No. Stop it with the cheating. There's no, you know, you do whatever it takes. And sometimes whatever it takes is whatever you can do. So if you can, if you want to sit there with a MIG welder and every heat weld on your, your steel, go ahead. I ain't stopping you. But I, I'm a fan of like when I started doing, started with integral knives, I was fighting the tongs because I couldn't get them on the different positions based on the starting stock. And then by, by the time I forged down the tang, I had, it, it was, there was too much slop when I was hitting. So I ended up investing in all the different sizes of all the different um, stages. 
and that was it made me much more efficient so i'm a, I'm a fan of i love tongs i love making tongs um and i buy them too there you are nice there there's this thing i just saw recently there's this kid uh in, his name's mark ling uh i don't oh, know sure. if he's on instagram but he's definitely on facebook he made these he's 17 years old he made uh adjustable tongs that hold from a quarter inch to one inch stock i think so they're, might be based, Jonathan they're like a, pinkston he all he calls it the ultimate uh, the ultimate tongs i don't know he said he got this from uh they calls them blacksmith channel lock tongs and he said they're from a uh, some blacksmith an old blacksmith book and so he forged out a pair for himself oh. um I don't know. Yeah, I've never seen. I you know I've always thought that adjustable tongs would be super smart, um, but I've never seen a pair until these. It's a pretty cool idea. I don't know if it's the the most perfect iteration of the style, but um, that whole crew is yeah, very. They're, they're very rad. Mark Ling, Jonathan Pinkston. He listens to this podcast. Um, all those guys, it's a, it's a young group of young guys. They do a nice job. I, I, the sure. problem I have with tongs are if you're, if you have just used pickup tongs and you're holding the, you're holding it. So the steel is going up and is up and down. It moves around too much. So I don't think I'm not a hundred percent sure. I always thought it would be great to be one pair of tongs. And I know there's some wolf tongs that people use that you can use for everything, but it gets to the point where it's just like, get what you need, you know, stop playing around. Sure. So shout out to the shout out to the chain gang. Those those the are good. Gang. That's the chain gang. That's uh okay. Well, those guys. Does anybody make tongs where you can change the ends? You can sort of change the tips, so you could have like like a like a, like a V, or you could have a flat end, or some, is that, is some people thing? are rolling their eyes right now. Like, what the fuck? I this? don't. I don't use tongs. I don't know. I'm just wondering. <laughs> is that a thing? It would be. I, I mean, I don't know. I mean, <laughs> that's a you know maybe that's your next next idea. Maybe that this that's uh changing the teeth, changing out the the the, the tongue end. It's a mm, good idea. Well, that's why you have different size. A lot of times, you have different size rings, uh, tong rings, so you can mm. you can hold it at different. You know, you you can clamp it down at different sizes. But I've never heard of uh, changeable changeable ends. They're usually very inexpensive because you beat the shit out of them. You know, mm, right? But okay. that's a great idea. Go ahead, somebody, Cliff. That's all you, Cliff. <laughs> Make some changeable. <laughs> he and I were trying changeable to figure ends. out. He and I were working on some uh, tongs uh, for bottle openers where you could fit two different sizes in one pair of tongs. But who cares? Mm. Get yourself some tongs, I, I, man. I mean, just really quick to really answer, other than the adjustable uh, tong thing, I think, you know, Jeff's right. I think get whatever tongs or make whatever tongs that you think you need um, to get the job done whatever it takes to get the job done. And if, if it's just one pair of tongs, half inch V bits to hold on to, uh, you know, half inch rebar stock, then whatever. But I've seen blacksmith shops that literally have hundreds of tongs, uh, lining the walls because, you know, you just, when you need that one pair of tongs that does, it holds the thing in the right place at a certain angle and whatever. like, it's what you need. Yeah. So it's about efficiency. It's about, the more yeah. more things you have to make your job easier, the the better it's going to be for you down the line. No. All right, Tongy. The next one comes from Rocco Handmade. Yo, you classy gents. 
Going to give you some. I'm going to give a go at some stainless. What stainless foil do you recommend? Uh, is there a thickness? Also, do you guys use dry ice or liquid nitrogen for your cryo treatments? Thank you. Be well. Stay safe. Stay safe. Stay safe. Stay safe. Stay safe. Motherfucker. Fucking fuck. I'm proud of you, Jeff. You got it. Got it through at the end. Who cares? So, what stainless foil do you recommend? Um, I I don't use a brand as such. Um, I just use stuff that's sort of rated to take the temperature that you need. Um, So, the supplier that I use, they have two different types. Um, One um, won't go as as high a temperature as the other. Um, But I generally just buy this, you know, the the stuff that will do anything. I haven't got a clue what make it is. Uh, I don't know. I've got a clue what the thickness is. Um, but yeah, they, they should, you know, be rated with regards to temperature that they can that they can take. So just make sure. Obviously, if it says if it's for stainless, which it's going to be, if it's a foil, it it needs to be, uh, you know, take that temperature. I, yeah, I, I don't really know what to say. That there. is the most critical part. And I used to buy the most expensive type, thinking that was the best type. But it's based on how high you're going in your forge. I mean, your oven. Yeah. You know how high if you're if you're not going to you know there's some that's rated to 2200 degrees, some that's rated to 1950, 1975, and uh, you if you're only going to 1900 degrees, you don't need to get the 2200 degree one. You know, so I actually mm-hmm. started getting the less expensive one, which is because I wasn't going that I didn't need to go that high. So I was buying foil, and I also buy foil and um, the the big rolls because it is cheaper yeah. ultimately. Um, but I don't remember exactly what the size was. But I based it on based it on what how high I'm going in my oven. Right. When, Either way, you're going to oh. cut your hand to ribbons. <laughs> just, I was just, just be prepared. I got <laughs> when, when you buy those big rolls, Jeff. Do they come with a pack of bandage? No, bandages? they don't. But I, I figured out a way to not cut myself as much. I've gotten a lot better at it, and I basically, I'll get the roll and I'll roll it out on my table, and then I'll use mm-hmm. a marker and mark out everything, and then I'll use a very sharp razor blade, and I'll, oh, yeah. and, I'll and a straight edge, and I can cut it much safer with that than pair when you're doing a pair of scissors i mean it's just like oh. it's like going through a fucking barbed wire tangle you know with like a pair of oh my God. Some, it's yeah. like it, and, and that that foil there's no there's no cut worse than a foil it's one of those cuts where you think you got got then you look down you don't see anything and then you see a couple tiny bubbles where like you don't you know all of a sudden it's like one of those you know those ninjas you know it gets you it gets you super yeah. tight so ninja cuts <laughs> but uh yeah I, I I usually use a uh I like a straight edge and a razor blade but I don't start at the front like I'll I'll put the razor blade in like maybe an eighth of an inch before the edge and that'll mm. make sure that I don't like because if your razor blade is very dull it'll it won't cut it'll catch and then you'll kind of screw up a segment of the, your your foil. And then I've yeah. done the dry ice. I haven't done the dry ice. I've done. I have a doer that I got from Rick Dunkerley um, with liquid nitrogen, and it was such a giant pain in the ass for me that I didn't. And I wasn't really using a lot of AEBL or Nitro V. Which 440C doesn't really need the cryo, so I kind of like. If you do it, go ahead. I know a lot of guys uh, use use it, and they have great results. I know Jeremy uses it, and Pariah Knives they cryo it, and some dudes just get. Uh, some Jews just get like a, a a cooler with some acetone and uh, and dry ice, or maybe something else. Besides, you can use something else besides acetone. I think isopropyl alcohol. Iso, yeah, isopropyl alcohol, or 
I want to say break fluid, but I'm not going to say it. I, but I said it. So <laughs> I, it's just uh, cryos is just a giant pain in the ass because it doesn't last in your in your doer forever. You know, and then if you buy a yeah. doer, you know, when you fill it up, you go to a welding supply store or something like that. They're going to you can't just say, give me, you know, it's not like going to the gas station. And say, just, you know, give me two gallons. If you have a 20 liter doer, they're giving you 20 liters and, and it doesn't last forever. Yeah. It just kind of slowly, slowly uh the dissolve so you, you you know it's it's if you don't if you're not doing a pile of cryo you can you got to figure out a way to make it work because it can be very expensive right and and the thing is the three of us make uh, you know knives for kitchens um so you know how necessary that is to you know to squeeze out those extra some steel it is very know, necessary some steels it well, is maybe in some maybe maybe with some but generally we're, we're not trying to you know chop a tree down with with you know we knife. did an episode with um, sorry. We did an episode with uh, Jeremy from Simple Little Life, and he did a huge bit on it, mm. where he talked about cryo for a, quite a while. And he's done a lot of experience. Uh, uh, he's got a lot of experience with cryo, and I think he's done some videos about it too. So he's an excellent resource in regards to like explaining cryo better. Yeah. What what steels do you use, stainless steel? I love 440C. I love it, and I'm getting back into AEBL. I'm kind of redoing uh, the way I do it. I, I like I like I like AEBL too, but uh, primarily I, I just stick with 440C. Yeah, and Morocco, are you using much stainless now? Uh, not much stainless. I do have a project coming up that is going to be using uh, Damasteel stainless, Martensitic stainless, mm-hmm. Damascus, um, and I think that is definitely a, a steel that uh, benefits from a sub. Uh, sub-zero treatment uh, i haven't used actually sorry i'm i'm totally lying so i have experience with the doer as well uh, which is the the liquid nitrogen and doing the dryo heat treat which is dry ice with uh or not heat treat but you know tempering whatever anyway sub-zero yeah. as well as uh, uh deep deep freeze freezers um yeah and yeah. they they will all do it uh, obviously the, the, the deep freeze freezers and the, uh, liquid nitrogen go quite a bit colder. Um, usually a dry treatment, which is the dry ice with isopropyl or acetone that gets down to around 120. Um, some steels require you to go farther than that though. And that's when you have to buckle down and get a, a, a doer and, or, you know, reevaluate. Maybe you don't want to work with that steel. <laughs> um, I'm fortunate that uh, my welding supply store will actually just let me borrow their doer. Dang. I don't have to actually buy the whole doer. Uh, I will b- let people know, though, y- you can't just show up with, like, a, a, a thermos or something like that just to do one little time. <laughs> yeah. I had a friend, ask, he asked his uh, welding supply shop, and he's like, look, I'm just doing this one little knife. You know, can I just fill up this thermos? And, like, no. You, you have to have it. They're, they got to be putting the liquid nitrogen into a certified container of some sort. Yeah. Um, so, so that's unfortunately that's not going to happen. Uh, but yeah, a funny story that's is when I, I first got this doer. I, I first got this doer, and I went to the welding supply store, and I had no, I didn't know anything about liquid nitrogen. I said, yeah, I just, I guess I just need some liquid nitrogen. So they bring it out. You can, they, they put the cap back on, and they, you know, and they're, they're like walking it carefully. It's a big doer. And I said, all right, what do I need to know? And they just, their eyes opened up. Their eyes bulged. What do you mean? What do you need to know? And I'm like, well, I mean, what do I need to know? I mean, 
And they're just looking at me like, you don't know? And I'm like, yeah, I have no idea. I, I just thought I was told I got to stick some knives in here. I don't have no idea. And they said, well, don't let it fucking spill and don't touch it on your, don't let it, don't touch it. Like, that's it? Well, and then there was like, I was like, should I buckle it in the car? Should I use a seatbelt? He's like, yeah. And they're just looking at me like, this is crazy. How come you don't know? And I'm like, I have no idea, nor do I care. It was like when a waitress says, you know, that, that plate is hot. And you like, as soon as she goes, you're like, yeah, but it was hilarious because they were looking at me like, what do you mean? What do you need to know? You fu- we're giving you this fucking freezer. You're going to get you're, this kid's going to have, you know, freezer burn on his penis or something like that. For all, for all we know. What were you planning on doing? I don't, I'm it? thinking Jesus. they're thinking that's what they're thinking. Uh, you know, but um, Miracle just made a point. Nitro. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, with a shape, fresh and shape. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good pull. Oh man, what a what a class act you are. That that is a good callback right there. <laughs> but um, Miracle just made a point actually, where we were talking about um, um, cryo treatments and so on. But you know, some stainless will just benefit from sort of a deep freeze, even a you know a home deep freezer. So I was speaking to Sandvik um, a few months ago regarding regarding their stainless, and I only use Sandvik's uh, stainless steels now, either like twelve C twenty seven, which is pretty standard what most Europeans use in any way. But I also use fourteen C twenty eight N, which has got a bit of nitrogen in. Um, and that benefits massively just from going in like a, like a home freezer. You just go into sort of minus five, minus ten degrees C, which let me just do a quick calculation in Fahrenheit is sort of like fourteen to twenty Fahrenheit. That is a massive benefit, even though it's not you know cryo. It's it's just a sub zero treatment. Um, and yeah, um, Sandvik say that 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 does a lot of good. It it's gonna up your HRC without affecting toughness, which is which is what you want. So yeah, it doesn't have to be cryo for certain for certain steels. But um, speak to, speak to, speak to the manufacturer of that steel; they're going to give you some good. Tips. I had a funny uh, liquid nitrogen story after I dealt dealt with the tour the doer. Uh, I actually got invited to a uh, a dinner kind of dinner and demo by the Voltaggio brothers, Brian and and uh, Michael. Did a thing at Blue Ribbon down in the city. This was a couple years ago. It would believe it or not, it was from the co- it was sponsored by Doers, the company, the, the the Scotch company Doers. So they were doing all these different you know meals, courses, and stuff like that. And I was sitting towards the front of the stage with with my partner Tony. And then they pulled out this liquid nitrogen to make like uh, ice cream. And they're fucking sloshing it around, <laughs> and I'm like. I'm having like this panic attack because the guys at the welding supply store are like, you're going to freeze your fucking face off. And these dudes are sloshing around this liquid nitrogen making this thing. And I'm turning to Tony. I'm like, these guys are going to kill somebody. I'm whispering. I'm like, this is, this is going to, everyone's going to have freezer burnt. And the funniest thing is afterwards, Brian comes up to me and he goes, what were you talking about? And I was just like, don't you know that you can't like touch this stuff? And he was just like, I had no idea. He's been sloshing liquid nitrogen around for like, months at all these demos I was like i said i said you gotta be careful man you gotta you're gonna you're gonna freeze something off you're gonna hurt somebody it was really funny because he was he heard me and he got a panic while he was doing the ice cream like god he's gonna kill everybody vader's ruining my event (laughs) yeah have you seen these things that they're popping up all over all over france uh last summer i saw a lot of them where they make ice cream um they get a plate and they've they've got like a like a chiller underneath so the plate is like super super cold and they literally just pour cream on top like liquid cream 
on top and they use like a like a like a wallpaper yeah. scraper and they keep scraping and scraping until oh, it turns yeah. into yeah. ice cream and it's, it's it's amazing to see yeah i see those super cold stuff. videos and then they roll them up and they put they just have some mm, fucking yeah. ice cream why did everybody why have everybody to reinvent the wheel that's what i'm gonna give my mother by the i'm gonna get her a plate and some fucking cream and a couple of scrapers <laughs> say yeah hey, make it yourself make your what everybody's doing mom what what <laughs> come on right, man, let's a move strange on. event a strange event asks hey fellas i have a i have another question how do you guys clean up the tra- clean up the transition from the hand sanded blade to the newly ground handle section i've had a hard time blending the hand sanded tang to the hand sanded blade stay safe guys he's talking about that hmm. connection between i think He's talking about the connection between the blade and the handle bolster, right? Right. Okay. Okay. I I suppose whether you want a hard transition or whether you want it to be sort of blended in. Um, if you if you want a hard transition, I use a tip that I got from Jeff, um, which is use again using a wallpaper scraper. God, that's come up twice in yeah. thirty seconds. A wallpaper scraper, and I use uh, Rhinoet. This is a good time to talk oh. about Rhinoet. Boom. So Rhinoet is the uh, is my sandpaper of choice, and I know for the other guys too. Um, they, they it's red. Is it Redline? Yes. Is yeah. it is Redline uh, Rhinoet made by Indasa USA? Um, it's just the best sandpaper out there. It, it it's what I use. Um, it it lasts for a long time, um, and you know it's quick, so it saves you money, saves you time. Um, so yeah, get first of all, that's the best tip. Get hold of some Rhinoet, and you can get that from Texas Farrier Supply um texasfarersupply.com and if you use knife talk 10 you'll actually get 10 percent off so you know you can't get better than 10 percent off well 15 or 20 I suppose. <laughs> Jeez. There you go. the 10 percent off you you know it's it's free money um so yeah head on over to texas farrier supply um as well as rhino where they they've got a lot, a lot of other stuff there for for knife making. brooches and uh, epoxies and something like all sorts of stuff Exactly, and that ten percent off would be off off you know everything in your order. So go take a look. But regard to um, cleaning up that transition, um, yeah, if you want a hard transition, I generally use a, like a wallpaper scraper, and I just put a little bit of um, Rhino Wet um, sort of across that sort of blade area, if you like, so you can get right up tight. I'm not sure he's talking um, about the plunge and quite line. often I think he's talking about the connection from the handle scales to the ricasso area before the plunge line. How do you guys? How do you guys clean it up? Um, so after glue up, you mean? Yeah, Is that what I you think th- so. He's talking about. Oh, okay. Um, I, I I say this quite regularly, but I yeah, try not to have squeeze out. Um, I, I I use very little epoxy, um, and that's the way it should be used. That's what the manufacturers recommend: a small film of epoxy. So when you do come to, um, you know, you, you you glue up and you bolt it up, and then you maybe stick a few clamps on. Um, if you do get any squeeze out, I generally use like a cotton bud or a Q-tip, as you Americans call it, and just go around, you know, just go around the edge, and and that's it. Um, yeah, there's, there's, it doesn't really need cleaning up afterwards. When when I finish a blade, I usually keep. I like them. I like the mill scale on the Ricasso area before the bolster. I clean the blade. Mm. I finish the hand sanding the blade before I put the handle on, and then when I'm putting the the handle together, I really only I rough out the handle profile. But then I'll finish the bolster. So the bolster is finished 
um, sanding up to 800 grit. Oh, oh yes, yeah, buffed yeah, it yes. and it's done. So when it's when I'm dry fitting it with the Corby bolts, that area is finito. I'm not never going to touch it again. Um, that is so I don't want to when I'm dealing with. I also don't uh, sand. I don't put satin finish on the tang of the blade. I like that that transition. I think that visually for my for in regards to what I like the 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 transition between the bolster of the handle, the ricasso of the knife, and the satin finish of the blade is my favorite, and the plunge line is my favorite visual part. So I try to get all that to the point where I don't have to deal, I don't have to touch it again. So I'm never going back. The only time is when I'm putting the epoxy on. Then I clean everything up when the epoxy is after I put it all together, and then I leave it alone. And I never have to go back and never have to touch it again. And then once it's when I'm ready to carve up the handle, I um tape the shit out of it that's what i do never have to go back never go back yeah anything different to that moreka i don't have anything to add right, there you go answer yeah. the correct no. where correctly then <laughs> yeah, i think i think we answered that question three different ways but thinking the question meant something yeah else. i mean but, uh, i think we three of us do pretty much the same thing in those knife making is a you know you don't just you, you have very specific steps and when you take those specific steps they're they're meant so you don't have to go backwards don't go backwards yeah. going backwards sucks mm. okay let's have a word from one of our sponsors combat abrasives make the world's best abrasive belts for knife makers available in any size and at unbelievable prices Go take a look at CombatAbrasives.com and get 15% off with the promo code KNIFETALK15. Do it now! Do you know that I saw Arnold Schwarzenegger this morning? He was eulogizing Roy from Siegfried and Roy. Did you know that Roy of Siegfried and Roy had passed away? Really? No, No. I didn't know. The original Tiger King. Hmm. Not eaten by a tiger, I hope. not. I mean, I think he was mauled by a tiger at one point, but... I don't know. I don't believe so. I don't think it was that. Tigers be snacking. <laughs> well, rest in peace, Roy. It's a TikTok, TikTok reference rest for you. Rest in peace, Roy. <laughs> Shall we do some yeah, more questions? Okay. Um, do, do, do. I'm going to miss the next one because we've answered it a million times. So the next one is at Mullins underscore <laughs> O-E-I-N, I'll say. Um, what are you putting on the menu at, for the end of quarantine family and friends barbecue party? Mm. Go ahead. Mm. What are you guys going to make? I don't barbecue much, to be honest. We've got like an outdoor pizza oven, so uh, pizzas when, when people come Really? Um, Love yeah. It. You get guys, the, get, get the pizza you guys in, the, in Europe make a pie. You guys all have, I mean, Sandy's got a pizza oven. Fingal's got a pizza oven. Everyone's got a pizza oven. Is it? Go? Way to go. A few beers on the go. It's, yeah. How nice. long does it take to get it started up? Uh, I generally, at least an hour oh, before we're going to start cooking, I'll, I'll stoke it up. But that's the, that's, that's oh. the fun bit, when you get, you get to leave everybody, because you know, I, I don't generally enjoy parties, so I can go off on my own, light a fire, have a few beers. And you have a long pizza peel and all that? Oh, yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, yeah. Mm-hmm. You're not going to put your arm in one, <laughs> Jesus. No, I didn't Jesus. say that. I thought maybe you like, you know, you fooled around with some spatulas or something. <laughs> uh, plumber's grips. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Look at you guys in Europe with your pizza ovens. It's the way forward. 
definitely. You you can get them now, little gas ones as well, little gas. I material. had this shitty but, one. Um, that it was just a ring that um, made your kettle grill hotter, but it was such a pain in the ass. I was like, I'll make pizza in the oven better than this. You can make a pizza. Oven I don't want to make. I got to make. What I got to make everything. I mean, what fucking blacksmith? I got to. Everyone seems to think I got to make fucking everything. I got to make every nail for the house too. Jesus Christ! Why can't I just put it in the oven like a normal person? Rekka, what are you going to make for your end of the end of the end of the quarantine party? Well, I actually like uh, using my kettle grill to make pizza. Yeah. Um, but I uh, I also have gotten into doing wings a lot lately, like indirect heat. And smoking them off and uh, hard to beat wings. Yeah, yeah. I've been doing this thing lately where uh, so my in-laws have fruit trees, uh, apples, cherries, uh, plum, and so on. And and you know there's always trimmings, especially from the apple trees. Um, They're always throwing up new shoots. And so I'll take actually once I got the briquettes going, I will uh, I'll throw some of those shoots on there just before I close it down so they catch fire a little bit. And then, then that becomes my smoke source um, for Ooh, the wings. Nice. And so it's worked out great. I did it actually for my birthday last year. I usually do the cooking on my birthday. Um, and, uh, yeah, we had a giant wing party. That's fun. So, so many wings. And and definitely had, like, nice. burgers and dogs for the kids and stuff or people who hate wings. Uh, but, yeah, I wanted wings. So you talk I, to so people who them. don't like wings. They'd be out on my life. <laughs> such a meat mouth. <laughs> it's all meat, meat mouth. Uh, there's just a lot of. I, I know a lot of people who, who feel like it, it's a futile effort to uh, to put all that work into eating just a little bit of meat off of and working around the bone and stuff. I don't. Know. I, know, I don't get it. I love it. I know people who won't yeah. eat meat that has a bone in it. Like oh, they yeah, can't. Sure. The, the bone freaks them out. You know, they don't want that bone in their mouth. <laughs> Nothing, Craig. God damn it! Nothing. I'm just quietly giggling Good. myself. <laughs> Good. All right. I'm gonna have a listen. I'm gonna fucking have a. I want to have a paella party because I got this goddamn grill. I've only used once. I've only. I've only used this outdoor propane thing once. <laughs> so when this is all over, I'm definitely gonna do a paella party. I actually supposed. To, I was supposed to do at Captain Lawrence. We were supposed to do a, a event with them this spring, and and uh, obviously that ain't gonna happen, but. I definitely want to make some pie. I love making pie. Pie is about as much fun. A big one is about as much fun to make as possible because you prep everything beforehand and then you're just kind of like, you know, you're all putting it together. That's so much fun to make. So much fun. So I'll do that. Great answer. That's all we seem to be talking about in the house at the moment. You know, what are we going to do when we're allowed to do what we like? And I bet things won't change much for us because we keep ourselves to ourselves well, anyway. It's but, funny so. because I have like because I do all the cooking in our house and I do all the shopping. Generally, mm. we have much more of a plant based diet in general. But like, you know, I, comfort food has become something that most people in general are are using as a as a as a, a degree of stress therapy. I think it's great because. Mm. It is true that, like, if you're thinking about all the fucking terrible things going on in the world and you have something cooked, you cook nicely, or something that you're looking forward to, I think that that's good for your mind. Last night, we, we usually do Friday nights, we order out from some local place, and we found out this Thai food place was open, and I got, we got a pile of Thai food, and it was just, like, all, like, grunting and, you know, <laughs> you know, slobbering when the, when the, when the food came. Mm-hmm. We were just wolfing oh, down yeah. this Thai food. So I think comfort food is great, and um, and comfort drinking. So 
<laughs> is that southern comfort drinking i hate whatever you comfort, want but I, they're, they're, okay but uh, <laughs> but uh southern comfort is not just for lost me. a couple of listeners and southern comfort is not for me but apparently jameson's and tito's is so there's been a lot of jameson's and tito's flying through the house so very much on the wagon still wow very impressive Oh, you wait, that, wait, wait! Are you supposed to be on there? Wait, are, is which? What is the expression? You're on the wagon. You're drinking. You're on the wagon. Oh, no. do you want to be on the, the wagon, wagon or off the wagon? You off the wagon? Off the wagon is when you are drinking sober enough to drinking. walk. No, off the wagon <laughs> is on the wagon means you're not drinking. Off the wagon means you started drinking again. Oh, oh fuck that! Fuck, I'm not I on the wagon. Was, no. <laughs> I, I always get it no. mixed up. Got that wrong. Oh, great episode, guys. Okay, great episode let's move so far. on. <laughs> Uh, Racer Rocks asks, hi guys, what are your thoughts about a possible future without USPS and the future of postal services around the world? How does this impact makers and consumers alike? Thank you. So is that happening? USPS will no longer be no, a thing? Are they... Of course it's going to be a thing. You have, people have to get things. It has to be a thing. It, it, the, the reason why there's this grumbling about the USPS is because, well, let's just get into it. Uh, President Trump doesn't like the USPS because he's they're mad. He's mad. He thinks that uh, Amazon is getting uh, not getting not paying their fair share, and that you know, which is true, they should pay their fair share. But guess what? When you're buying from Amazon now, <laughs> your prices are going to go up. Uh, and mm-hmm. Jeff Bezos, who also owns the Washington Post, he don't like him either. So there's look, there's a lot of problems in the U. I mean, before all this. I remember going to the, the post office and uh, during Christmas, and they were saying they are slammed from not just you know normal Christmas orders, but from the pallets of mail coming from Amazon that's being delivered every day. So I mean, Amazon is you know crushing the. So is US USPS or government led post as like the UK would have Royal Mail and La Poste here in France? They're sort of part owned by the government. Is is that the same in in US with USPS? Oh, yeah. I don't, I don't. I'm not 100 percent sure. Know I'm not 100 percent sure. I've heard both. I, I, I'm under the impression that it is part of the government, but you know, but you right, know, okay. that's why you know you have US, US, uh, UPS and FedEx and DHL and all those other uh, privately owned organizations. But you know, mm-hmm. okay. What can you do? So are you still getting mail in and out as as Damn normal? Right. Damn right. Damn well, right. Yeah. I mean. No, we haven't. We haven't for but, a long time. We, I did have some posts this week for the first time in a long time. Oh, wow. Um, but it, it wasn't relevant. It was just some fun stuff that I did. There you go. So, yeah, it'll be terrible. If the, if the, if, I mean, people, I mean, even like entrepreneurial or, you know, people who are trying to make things happen, you know, I mean, you still, you're not going to get your, if the USP, you know, how are you going to get your bills? You know, I, there's, there's a, just, hmm. there's, it's just impossible to think of not having mail. I don't know how how you guys how are you guys supposed to pay your bills if you're not getting mail, Craig. Well, at the moment, everything has has stopped. So all the um, you know energy providers and all that they're all saying you know your bills at the moment. Don't worry about them. We'll sort it all out at the end of all this. Um, ev- so you're just yeah, going to get these whoppers <laughs> when you when you get when the mail starts. You're going to have three months of three months of your your well, cell phone bills are going to be you're going to have whoppers. I'm still getting my head around the differences here in France to like the UK. So certainly in the UK, that that is what would have happened. You just get this whopper. But uh, but 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 here in France, 
um, so you, you pay a much higher tax rate to begin with here in France. But everybody is, is really looked after by the state, like unbelievably so, much more than I'd ever expected. It, it, it's quite weird. We don't, we don't have like a, a national health service, which is free, like in the UK. We, we pay for that as well. Um, but everything else, it, it really is weird. Everybody really is looking out for each other. So the big energy companies, they, they've literally just said, look, you know, we're not going to switch anybody's electric off or anything like that. Everybody's going to be okay. Don't, don't worry. We'll sort everything out at the end of it all. And I've got complete faith in them that they're not going to screw everybody up because they, they, they honestly, they, they just don't over here. It, it's not what happens. Whereas in the UK, they, <laughs> they're all out to screw each other over all these you big businesses. You guys are just going to get these um, whopper bills and it's going to be like, I don't think so. Well, honestly, it's not going to go away. The the attitude is different over here. It's it's it, it's quite strange. It's so quite your strange. cell phone providers aren't going to make you pay for, you know, April, May, and June. Um. Well, you're going to have to pay for what you use. Yeah. But that the, what they'll probably do, I'd imagine, is um like your bills. They'll probably spread them now over the next sort of twelve months, as opposed to giving you one big whopper. So you're still going to have to pay for what you've used. Um, but they'll lighten the load for everybody. And 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 that, that really is it. I mean, the cell phone, for example, I, I've had a text message from them saying, you know, we're not going to bill you for the next two months. Um, you know, I'm, I'm going to have to pay that eventually. But at the moment, everybody's just like, everything's stopped. That's, you know, nobody well, needs to worry. That's the problem with that Lockwood. He lives in, lives in a socialist country. <laughs> I wouldn't quite say a socialist, but people that generally look after each other a lot more here in France than, than, than you know, in, in mm. the UK and, you know, from what I know of other countries. Um, yeah, and it's just bred into them. It, it's just quite a different thing. There you thing. go. Ah. Let's hope this all gets solved. Yes, yes. We were, we were talking about post, weren't we? Okay, let's move on. Let's move CN on. Knives asks, what's your favorite quarantine snack? Ah. Mine has changed since last. We talked about this last week, and I was having these chocolate biscuits every afternoon. Um, so my wife always have always had these like rice cake sheets, and I'm just like, that's just a waste of energy. There's no taste to them. It's like, what's the point in even putting that in your mouth? But um, we got this week. We got rice cakes with a chocolate layer Look on top. You. And they're amazing. <laughs> they're like the best things ever, and you can eat them almost guilt free because there's so little chocolate Shut on them. But they actually taste good. So. Nice. so my quarantine snack has changed to. Uh, you rice cake with chocolate you. on. <laughs> He's unbelievable. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking chocolate-covered rice cake. God damn it. If somebody told me this a week ago, I would have said, what's the point? But honestly, they're, they're, right. they're decent. So, yeah. Recco, what's your quarantine snack? Well, well, uh, I've been making these <laughs> poor man nachos. So basically it's tortilla chips uh, with dry seasonings and uh, shredded cheese over the top. So, and you just melt what's it. What's so and... poor man about it? Would you have to use a well, magnifying a glass to fucking melt the cheese? I mean, come on. <laughs> no, no, no. no, I mean, most nachos, you know, I, I've worked in a lot of pubs and eateries, and nachos are usually like tomatoes and beans and corns and jalapeno and meat and all this other shit on top. This is just cheese and tortillas yeah. and the chips, and that's it. Nice. And dry seasoning. So do they all stick together because of the cheese as well? Yeah. It's pretty sweet. Oh, look at you getting oh, frothed Hey, cuties. <laughs> <laughs> what about you, on the rocks. Uh... That's my quarantine snack. <laughs> that's a snack. <laughs> that's my last. That's my. That's my last snack of the night. A little JMO on the rocks. That's it. That's my. That's okay. the only. <laughs> that's the only. That. Okay. That's the. I mean, I. I, 
I've been eating pretty well lately. I we eat a lot of fruit, and I'm trying to eat more. We're trying to eat as much fresh fr- fruit as possible. So, but I don't. I don't. I've never really been a big snacker. I so, but you know, though all I can think of is I have a little Jameson's on the rocks at night. Nice. All right, let's do a few more because I don't think we've got any. Um, you know what you should do. Uh, you know week. what? So you know what you should do. Everybody's. You know what you should do. Have been like lackluster. I might add. Don't cut this part out. So I, I I've just been adding to the questions. <laughs> okay. Okay. Where are we? Here we go. Uh, the Learning Bladesmith says, "Hey, cuties! Almost every knife I harden gets a wavy edge." I don't know what I could do against it anymore. I use scrap leaf spring and a charcoal forge. The spine usually stays straight. Um, so he's getting a wavy edge around the around the cutting edge. Um, any tips? I mean, he's using a charcoal forge, so I'm assuming that he's, he's forging these blades as well. So what do you, what do you think, Mariko? Uh My initial thought would be, that the uh that the edge geometry or what he's if he's doing any primary grinding uh before he does the final heat treat it might he might be taking it too thin um i've definitely had that happen when i've taken blades uh a little too thin before heat treating and they come out um you know most of the blade looks pretty good and straight except for like that last little bit down towards the cutting edge got this little kind of wavy waffly ribbon edge happening which is no good uh my other thought though i've never i you know obviously you can heat treat out of a coal-fired forge um i think it takes a lot of experience and a, a control so my only concern about it is that if he doesn't have that or maybe he just doesn't know what temperature he's looking for he could be taking it too hot before doing his final hardening and that also could contribute to uh, a wiggly cutting edge that's getting all over the place. I that's exact. I want to just add one quick thing is, I saw a video, an ABS video. I got ABS DVDs, and there was a Kevin Cashin uh, video on heat treating, and I learned a ton of it watching him heat treat. And he, what he did was he was heat treating out of a coal forge, and he put a piece of four by four tubing, like a section maybe like you know two and a half feet long, and he put it under the coal so the 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 two by the four by four was heating up and it was heating up evenly and he was getting this even heat in the coal forge so he could heat treat. Then mm. when I was down at Doghouse Forge, Jonathan Porter had a he we were heat we were heat treating out of his forge and he did the same thing because one of his forges was 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 still a little too hot. He stuck a tube, a four by four tube, in the coal the gas forge. And he, we were actually heat treating out of that, and it was creating this kind of like very even tunnel, um, so we could yeah. have a really, really even heat. And I would think that that would help you too in regards to not overdoing it, because maybe, like uh, Mareko was saying, uh, it also could be that if you're using Coke Forge, maybe maybe the tip is getting hotter than the rest of it. So if you were to figure out a way by sticking in a nice piece of tubing, you'll get a more even heat when you're getting that heat treatment because you don't want to get you don't want to overheat it for sure. Yeah. There you go. Here we go. Boom. Here we go. That's right, a good move. The next one, we're going to do another one. Yeah. Yeah, sure. Yeah. All right, this next one is from DK Forgeworks, aka Damascus Dave, aka Jeff's best friend. Love Dave. Uh when doing 
Yeah. I do love Dave. Uh, He's a pain in the ass. He's my favorite pain in the ass. That's not what you said off air. You didn't <laughs> say that off air. You go fuck yourselves. I like Dave a lot. He's my favorite pain in the ass. Giant pain in the ass. But he's a good guy. He's a giant pain in the ass. Go ahead. Giant. When doing handles. <laughs> Handle sculpting after glue up. What grip belt are you using, and is it a fresh belt? Mm. Um, not always a fresh belt for me, but it's it's always it's never touched steel before, so I'd only use it on um, other wood wooden handles. Um, um, I generally start at two twenty, um, a nice sort of flexible belt. Um, but you know, I I don't do those those super sharp facets that some people do. Dave doesn't do those um, either. Where you probably, yeah, you, if that was the case, you'd probably <laughs> want something you know stiffer. Um, but I I generally just round things off. So um, yeah, I started at two twenty. Um, I say not always fresh, but you know, it hasn't touched steel before. I wouldn't use you know the same belt that I'd use on a on a blade. Basically. Dave, you know what you should do? You should get a, a used eight hundred grit. And that's what you should use. A used 800 grit that's been using on, you've been using on steel. That's going to be the best for you. Oh, that would be perfect. Run it super, super, super fast. fast. Super, super fast. Super fast. Yeah. Super fast. Used 800 grit belt. That's what I would do. I actually use, I, I love, I use, I get uh, 60 grit belts from Combat. They're uh, because I like the way that Combat sells in bundles and the prices are very good. So I have a, a stack of 60 grit fresh belts and I'm I don't use them for steel at all because that's what that's what gets what gets you if you use it if you just grab mm-hmm. any old thing you're gonna especially if you're using wood you're gonna burn the shit out of your wood I learned that from uh, Matt Paul told me he was the first guy to tell me he's like you got to separate out your wood but your wood belts from your steel belts sure I, I start with a 60 grit belt myself as well. Sometimes I used to just start with a 36 um, for, I, I thought I was being more efficient, but realistically on wood, uh, 60 grit is removing basically as quickly as the 36 grit. Um, so yeah, I start with 36 and then I jump to, uh, or sorry, start with 60. Then I jump to 220 and progress to 400. And then I finish by hand. There you go. See Dave. Get fresh belts, Dave. Benny's Tool and Cutlery says, I've just got my first 2x72 grinder, and I bought it with a beginner belt kit. In that kit, it comes with a multiple different weighted belts, and I'd love to hear from you guys what different flex weighted belts you use for different applications. Um, thanks heaps. Um, so he's, he's talking about the different sort of backings, I suppose, on the different types of belts. Yeah. Some are being much stiffer um, and heavier than than the more sort of lighter, flexible stuffs. So yeah, what, when would you use, um, let's say, for example, you know, a stiff, heavy belt? I mean, for for me, uh, whoops! Now I'm the one hitting my microphone. Um, I, when I'm doing any of the blade grinding, for the most part, I'm using. Uh, an X or a Y weight. Y weight is, I guess, deep. The deeper you get into the alphabet, the heavier the backing of the belt. Uh, the Y weight, I think, is, I believe, is the heaviest hmm. um, that I'm familiar with. And then X is just a little lighter than that. Um, but you know, I use more of those more stable kind of belts, the ones that aren't going to kind of curl or create a weird mm-hmm. um, whoop, I guess, off the platen. Or around the edges um, for my for my blade grinding, but then when I get, start getting into 
uh, kind of shaping odd contours, especially when it's on metal, uh, like on my uh, on my Japanese cowboy handle uh, up at the bolster. There's there's a little curve up there on one of the facets that the only way to get it is with uh, my rotary platen, which is a rubber belt backed grinding belt, um, mm. and then. I uh, I use a 120 grit belt to get in there and 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 the 120 the grit is small enough that it can kind of curve just a little bit but uh, it it's only good for on the metal because you can't really do that on the wood um, but then when I go to so but when it comes to the handle you know I start you you just kind of have to start with the X and Y weights with the heavy, the heavier grits like 60 and 120. Um, but once you get into 220, you can start getting into a J flex, which is like a denim backed abrasive belt. And so it's got a lot more flex to it. And you can, like Craig was saying, he, you know, you can get into the curves and, and blend and, and roll out the edges nicely with that, um, with that J flex. But yeah, that, I mean, that's, that's how I use the different weights. What about you guys? Boom. Yeah, that's pretty much it. Um, I don't use, I generally don't use, I mean, you guys just talked about using 60s on wood. Um, I generally don't because I find them a little bit too... Uh, aggressive? Too too sort of rigid, yeah, and, and aggressive, yeah. Um, I, so I generally use like the J-flexes and, you know, the really sort of lighter stuff for wood. Um, but yeah, I, my general rule is, you know, the, the heavier the back in, um, I'll do them for sort of primary grinds uh, on steel. Um, and then work down to the, you know the loose, looser, lighter stuff um, for finishing and for wood stuff. You know, as Ice Cube says, the bigger the cap, the bigger the pillin. There we go. And when you're dealing with the <laughs> lynch mob, you got to know this. that Steady Mob is not just the name of this jam, but a way of life. Bound together by motherfuckers who knows how to break it off something. Something like that. Nice. Oh, Ice Cube. <laughs> Robin Frost Knives said, I, d- I don't really want to. <laughs> I'm not rapping uh, anymore. Don't worry. Oh, I thought he was going to do more. Middle aged white guy rapping. Mobbin, uh, Robin, <laughs> Mobbin, uh, he- heavy, heavy Mobbin. Mobbin. Heavy Robin Frost Knives says, Hey cuties, do you have any tips for crispy plunge lines? Um, think I've been removing too much material from the start, which is making it hard to get in there on my finishing strokes. <laughs> Uh, I like to use a file guide, and then the file guide cl- is a, two pieces of aluminum with uh, the, with bolts and uh, little uh, little rods that hold it together. And then there's carbides on the faces, and then you clamp it against your ricasso, and then you have a nice you can create a nice crisp plunge line. And those file guides will help you do that. That's how I do it. Yeah, and and if you keep them on um, until. Um, until the very, you can actually do your hand sanding with them on as well, so you're not sort of muddying up that plunge yeah. line when you're doing your hand I've sanding. Sta- I've actually started taking them off. I've gotten a little bit more comfortable with them off, and I'm getting tighter into the plunge line when I'm hand sanding without the carbide. Right. Got hmm. it. Oh, nice. Okay. This next um, one is Josiah Weeble. Weeble? <laughs> trying to screw these names up. He says, I got a question for Craig, actually. Have you explored this secret room you found yet? Love the podcast. You did say, you, <laughs> because his name is Josiah Weibel, you almost said, I got a 
question. I fucked it up. Never mind. Let's <laughs> back to this where we were. I, th- I thought I had to- thought I found something. I didn't find shit. So, did you find that? What's going on with that secret room here, Craig? <laughs> Do you know what? We haven't even been. Yeah, I'm being close to it. So, the the top two floors of the house, we generally just shut off. There's a door to them, and. We haven't, you know, we've gone up maybe a handful of times since we've been here because we've got so much work on these bottom two floors, the bottom three floors to concentrate on that, you know, we're, we just don't go up there. So, no, I haven't. I haven't gone up. Um, but it really piqued an interest in people. So when I talked about it last time, I must have had a dozen messages from people asking about it and, you know, asking about the sort of the history of the house and so on. Um and I sent a few people messages, so I'll, I'll briefly go through it. So the, the house we know dates back to at least the 1600s. Um, so it, it's lived through a lot, so it didn't have any, obviously, any plumbing or electricity to begin with, so everything's been bolted on afterwards, you know, at various in de- varying degrees of success, some of it's really <laughs> bad. Um, but, um, yes, we've lived through, you know, two world wars. In the Second World War, it was the hospital for the village, um, and we've got a village um, called Oradosaglan, which is, which is about 20, 30 minutes from here, and it's quite famous because... During the Second World War, the Nazis came and they wanted uh, a base. So basically, they slaughtered six hundred people in that village in one day. Wow! Um, they they put um, all the women in the church um, and they set fire to the church, and they literally lined all the men up in the street and just shot them all. Um, and th- this village still stands exactly as it was. So the the French uh, president at the time said. This needs to be a reminder, so this will never happen again. Um, so we're not tearing anything down. Everything is, is as it was. So you can go there as a sort of visit now, and it's re- it's really dark there. You can you know the bullet holes are still there, oh, and there's wow. there's still cars. There's still you know there's still um, you know tables in people's houses where they're about to sit to eat, and it's it's, it's really hmm. really moving and dark. Um, but the, but oh. that's what happened in this area because we're we're very rural here, and that's what happened. The, the Nazis would come and literally just take over the village. So what used to happen in my house is the uh, if you had a value to the Nazis, such as doctors and nurses, they had a value. So they were spared. So what the doctors and nurses would do, they'd bring their family into work, um, which was the hospital where, which is my house now, and they'd um, they'd hide them um, in in various hiding places in the house. So like the basement has a secret room in there, and we've just found another secret room upstairs. Um, and, what, and what we can gather from you know listening to like the, the, the mayor of the village who's told me some of these stories that the yeah the doctors and nurses would bring in their in their families and and hide them to make sure oh they'd be God. safe they'd be safe and it's it's crazy to think that this was what two generations ago you know my grandfather lived through the second world war and this was happening then and they were they were slaughtering villages it's it's yeah and even in um even in in our village here there's there's like two there's two almost sides of things so that you had the the nazi sympathizers um and you had the resistance so the the sympathizers were those who sort of gave in to the nazis and said you know we'll help you whatever you need you know and you you can only imagine at the time you know people were being slaughtered so you know the the pressure on you to sort of to help and you know at least pretend to be on the side of the Nazis. Um, and even here now, there are certain um, people within the village where people don't speak to them because they were, they were sympathizers. You mean they won't speak oh, wow. to their families? It's, exactly, wow. yeah. And even now, it, it, it's, you know, all these years later, um, it's crazy. There's a house just around the corner from me here, and, you know, people say he's the sympathizer. Still, and he, and he wasn't even born? Still. 
Still, oh, oh no, yeah, he's an old man, guy, so then. he was born. Yeah, he was born. Yeah, and, oh, you know, fuck, he just yeah, snarls yeah. at people well, as they. As I they thought pass. it was like their grandkids it, weren't talking to other grandkids, but if that old that old oh, no, still alive, yeah, fuck that guy. This was this was what two generations ago. That's all to think that that was happening in the in the world, you know, and you know, not just here, God you know, damn. all over Europe, and that is crazy. that is bananas. But, uh, so, what are you going to do to those rooms? Are you going to clean them up, or? Are you too scared? Um, the one in the the one in the basement, definitely not. No, we're going to keep it as there's shoes and stuff in there. It's spooky Whoa. as hell. I've had to go in there to run uh, cables wow. where we're rewiring the house, and I've had to run and it's just like get in and get out as quick as you can. Um, oh, it's shit. scary as hell. Um, but um, yeah, my, my thought is is with the house um, is that it was a it was it was a safe place. That's the way I think of it. Is there's, there's a lot of old houses here that are, that were bombed and so on, and there's lots of ruins. You, know, you can go out and see lots of ruins around. Mm. Um, and you can only imagine how bad that would have been. But the way I think of it is this house was was seen as, as somewhere right. safe. So, you know, I'm not into, like, spooky stuff and all that, you know, but but if you were, that's the way I sort of think. Well, it was a safe house. It, it's fine. Um, but, yeah, it it is crazy, especially, like, I think Americans have a big interest in it because – you know that that sort of history obviously you, you don't right. quite have um but you know speaking to you know you know other europeans they're just like you know it, it right. happened all over europe it it's not it's not such a such a thing but it, yeah i was amazed to see so many people sort of asking me more questions when i just said in passing about you know the, the history of the house and um when i sent them links to you know the likes of you know, Oradosa Glam, where they have these slow in the beginning, and so on. People in the like, beginning, you were well, talking about, I'm going to go in there in my pajamas and take a nap. Now, all of a sudden, it's like talking about Nazi <laughs> exactly. slaughtering rooms. I mean, safe houses yeah. to s- save people from being slaughtered. So it's, you're not fumping yeah, yeah, around in your pajamas yes, yeah. walking around in the safe rooms. No, <laughs> hey. no. But, um, yeah, so uh, back to the initial question. No, we haven't, I haven't been in the room yet. Um yeah, I'll, I'll build up my courage one day to go in. I'm sure. I'm sure. You know, it, it'll just be an empty space, like like the rest of the house was. But uh, yeah, I had to move. I couldn't handle it. My sister, my sister <laughs> has a house, uh, one of the oldest houses in New York, and it's a it's a landmark. And there are all these rooms, and she's just like, "This is and this is the room where the slaves lived." And you could see like the fucking marks, and like the you know somebody's name was here. And my my daughter turns to my daughter turns to to my sister and she goes, "You don't expect me to sleep in this room, do you?" And she's like, "Why? What's the matter?" I'm like, I'm not sleep. We're not sleeping here. Get the fuck out of here. We're not interested in you sleeping in the slave room. That's terrible. So, it's crazy to think, and all these things happened, you know, in a relatively short space away. You know, it wasn't that long ago. Mad. Mad. So one of my favorite bits of the house, um, if you go into into the attic, uh, into the loft, um, there's it's all stone, obviously, but there's um, slits in there, and these were for um, to um, shoot arrows because we're, we're huh. like in the middle of the village, top of the hill, and if you had invaders come in, you could you could shoot your arrows through these slits, and you know, they've, the oh, wall wow. is sort of angled, so you can get a better angle, not just you know straight through the slit. Um, it's crazy to think people were doing that, you know, in you know, just gen- a few generations ago. Ugh. Mental. I want to see pictures. Absolutely I want to come. <laughs> you know what you should do? You should do a live stream of you exploring the space, <laughs> walking around the house. Mareko, Mareko <laughs> wants to see your slit. I do. <laughs> I really do. How dare oh, you? Jeez. Let's. We've been talking about my house. Let's move on. Um, <laughs> instant, instant nude zero nine says, um, "How do you guys go about packing and shipping your knives?" 
For ones that I make with a sheath, it's not a big deal, but I'm curious about sending out kitchen knives that I'm not making a sheath for. Also, thanks, Jeff, for getting the word about PPE donations. I'm a police officer in Bergen County, New Jersey, and the only reason we have any masks right now is because of donations we've received. Ah, good to hear. There you got go. something. Well, I didn't, I'm um, sure he didn't yeah, get them um, from us. <laughs> oh, I'm sure not, no, no. You know, but... Um, packing and shipping knives um, without a sheath. Um, what are you I guys started doing? using those cheap little things. You get those little uh, blade savers a long time ago, and they just look like shit. I, they they look like, I mean, in my opinion, they look like something you got from Chinatown. I hated them, and actually, they just and you can get those little tips. You can get those little plastic tips that go on your thing and stuff like that. I just don't like the presentation when you they open it up and they sit. You see, like you know. Don't cut yourself. I, I, I do the I do the Kydex sheaths for two reasons. One is I like the presentation, but also they ship well in, in the Kydex sheaths, and they're very quick. You can make Kydex sheaths very quickly. You don't have to. They don't have to be super super ornate. They can just you know simple transitions and stuff. Mm. But that's what I do. I, I and then it also protects them. That protects them in the packaging, and then I, I use butcher paper very similar to uh, Fingal Ferguson uses butcher paper. I've been doing that from. Um, yeah, from a, a long time, and uh, I like the way that it just seems much more, you know, something very, you know, it just seems not. It just seems very knife, like too. you know, it's a, it's very to the point. So yeah, Mareko, what are you doing to to get your knives out the door? How are they packaged? Yeah, so I'm actually shipping in, uh, or at least currently, uh, I'm shipping in flat rate boxes. Uh, the USPS. They have a, you know, you can. They have a kiosk in most post offices that have the the standard three sizes, but they actually have a bunch of different shapes and sizes that they make the flat rate boxes in. And I use a game board shaped flat rate, large flat rate shipping box. It's uh, it's basically eleven eleven and a half inches wide, and almost twenty four inches long and three inches deep. And so I actually have been using uh, three layers. Uh, I, I tried to build a, a box that the customer can actually hold on to and use later to ship the knife back to me in a safe manner. Um, so I try to encourage them to hold on to whatever, you know, after they unbox it and everything, hold on to the box packaging and stuff. So if they need to send it back for any reason or eventually need uh, needs a tune-up or they want to give it a spa day. But anyways, I use... Um, foam board insulation so at the at the hardware store mm-hmm. you can just get like like a styrofoam board insulation in different thicknesses and i and i get the inch thick uh pieces and you know you just cut them down to fit inside the box and then you can cut out a cavity in the middle piece so basically you make a sandwich two solid pieces and then one in the middle that has a cavity cut out um but it's solid enough. Like after I have it all packaged up, I feel more than confident that I could actually stand. I've actually stood on the package uh, after packaging things up, um, which is kind of, was kind of scary at first. But uh, there's zero movement in that package once everything's in there, and, and you know you can cut it down so everything fits really, really nice and snug. Um, so yeah, that's what I've that's what I've been doing the last uh, couple of nice. years, year and a half. Mm. Well, I've been down so many rabbit holes when it comes to um, packaging because the way I think of it is you're sort of presenting a knife. I want it to come presented in a beautiful way. Sure. And I think um, I've tried various different ways, even sort of um, 
you know, the thermoplastics like you would with Kydex to make like a mould for it to go into a box and all the rest of it. And none of them were ever right. You'd still get like the knife would rattle around and so on. Um, but the the one person who I seen have it perfect, and I didn't want to copy them exactly, is um, is Toma from Florentine. So he he sort of sandwiches the knife within these um, corrugated card things, and he puts a sleeve around it, and it's just presented beautifully. As you would imagine with Thomas stuff, because his, his shop is beautiful, everything's beautiful about what he does. Um, so you know, I was like, oh, that that's that's the way to do it. But I'm like, I don't want to copy it um, because you know that Thomas known for known for that. Um, so I've I've got something very similar. So basically, I have I've had special packaging made. So it's a it's it's the size of like a pizza box. Imagine a pizza box, you know, square, um, but very very rigid. Um, and I have that sort of gold stamped across, you know, all the, the, the you know the edges um, with it with the chop logo, um, like a hot foil gold stamp thing. Um, but then when you open up the box, um, because it's it's quite large, being you know the size. Of, you imagine it like a, like a laptop being square. It's that sort of size. Um, but when you open it, um, it's got a brace across the middle. So it's hard to explain. So if you can imagine a diagonal across, which is this stacked corrugated cardboard. Um, with a knife in it, so um, the knife has been um, like laser cut out the the shape in the cardboard, so it it, it fits in perfectly, almost like um, it's hard. It's really hard to explain without. I'll, I'll put up a picture on the on the knife talk um, Instagram thing on Monday too. Um, so basically, there's a top and a bottom. The knife goes in there. You put the top back on, which forms a brace for this box. Again, that's got like a gold stamp across the across the front. Um, this only really works because I'm doing sort of large numbers of one knife. You couldn't really do this with custom stuff because even, you know, to get these boxes printed and made up, you need minimum orders and all that kind of stuff. And that that's something that I've, for you know, for years I've never seemed to get right. But now that I'm doing sort of, you know, runs of, you know, a hundred of, you know, one type of knife, I, I, I can get these things made now. So imagine this square box with a brace across the middle as a diagonal where the knife is held within these corrugated stacks um, to hold the knife perfectly in place. Um, but then you've got two pockets. So if the diagonal is there, you've got a pocket either side. So then I can put in like a couple of badges or I could put in a like a chef's apron with the, the chop logo on or something like that. You can put little gifts in either side. Mm. So when the customer receives it, they get this this lovely box and it's you know, branded with this lovely gold gold foil. Open it up and then you've got these three different sort of... You've got the knife in the middle and you've got a gift either side as well. So it... It's 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 a bit more of the sort of the experience of unboxing something as well now, as opposed to just getting a you know a generic box. So I'd say if you've got a model that you're you're constantly doing, you can spend a, money, a bit of money and a bit of time to get to get something right like that. But if you are doing the one-offs, I don't know, I don't know. That's that's what I struggled yeah. with for so long, with you know each knife being a different shape. It's it's just really difficult. And I've seen people you know buy in you know off the shelf boxes and filling it with you know wood shavings and things like that. But the knife is still going to rattle around. So you know in that case, I'd say you know what Jeff is doing with a you know having a you know a, a cover for it. You know um, that would work. But it still needs to be in something. And I've tried um, circular boxes. You know that you can buy prints in and putting them in, and you know stuffing it full of those styrofoam peanuts, you know, to stop things those shaking things about. Um, it is, yeah, and it, it's really if you if you're doing a one-off, it's 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 very difficult. But um, yeah, I feel for you if you are because it, it is really hard to to do something that not only protects the knife 
um, also protects the the shipping company because you don't want a you know a tip coming out and going through somebody's finger, um, but also being a, a nice experience for the end user to get and say you know this is even even the packaging you know a lot of thought has gone into the, the quality of the, the packaging. It is the first. Mm-hmm. It is the first. Uh, you know, the first thing they'll see. So, yeah. first impressions very important. Yeah. Very important. You want a tip hanging out first time you meet somebody. Oh, you don't want your tip hanging out, huh? All right, there you go. Shall we call it a day yeah. on new questions? Okay, okay. Um, shall we? Sure, sure, sure. Hey, man, can I ask you a question? <laughs> uh, I said, I'll find the right jingle. You two have a little chat a second. <laughs> <laughs> we're going to talk about the, this is community showcase where we show a little bit of love to someone that we think you should be following they're doing something good or we think you should be involved uh, a little highlight a little pat on the back Mareko community showcase there we go Craig <laughs> there it Craig, is Craig who do you have who do I have um, mine isn't a, a knife maker this week um, it's actually a chef um, and I've been a big fan of his for a long, long time. He was on MasterChef um, years ago, I think, probably 10 years ago now, um, Adam Handlin. Um, so he's now got a group of restaurants where I think he's got four restaurants and like a cocktail bar. Um, amazing stuff. I, I think I talked about uh, one of his restaurants, Ugly Butterfly, in the past where they only use um, the waste from the other restaurants. Um, and he still makes this, you know, amazing food. But it is literally just, you know, the offcuts from, from from the other restaurants that he has around London. Um, amazing thing. But um, he did a, an Instagram live, um, like an interview this week, and and the, and the guy he was speaking to was saying, you know, how how are you sort of weathering this storm? And um, it was just heartbreaking, you know, to, to hear of these restaurant owners, you know, what 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 is happening to them because you know. A lot of restaurants, you know, they rely on that, you know, that quick cash turnover all the time mm. because they've got a lot of supplies to buy and that kind of thing. And, you know, and they've got staff to pay. Um, and he's saying he's got, you know, he's got like, I think he said 280 chefs yeah. within the group, um, as well as, you know, the service staff and everybody else. Um, and he's just like, we're not going to get out of this the other end. Even if we could open tomorrow, we're not going to get out of this without having to close some of these restaurants. So he has, he's got four restaurants and a a cocktail bar at the moment um and it was, yeah heartbreaking to hear of him saying if they, if they can get out of this keeping half you know 50 percent of the business going he said that's a result for, for them you know and this this guy is he's young he's so creative you know top of his game and you know and he's crushed and i can imagine the rest of the restaurant industry feeling the same way so um yeah so shout out to adam handlin um and the adam handlin food group um the best food that i ate last year was at ugly butterfly Mm. um and it's it's just going to be a real shame to see you know good restaurants going down going down the pan and and hopefully that that won't be the case um i know certainly with adam he said they've got plans so you know at least 50 percent are going to be secure um and and let's hope that's the case. So yeah, my community showcase is um, Adam Handlin, who's a, a fantastic. There's chef. a lot of guys now who are taking not taking advantage, but they're trying to make stay open and figure out how they can reposition themselves. I just saw a video from mm. a friend of mine, uh, Mark Vetri. He's a Philly chef, real famous Philly chef, and he was like, he's like, he was heartbroken, and he like everybody else, and he's just like, we have to figure out a different way to work, and he's 
doing tons of teas. Like if you asked me, you know, a few months ago, if I would do to go, I would say, of course not. You know, part of it's the plating part of it's going to come out right when you eat it at home. Now it's all to go. And he's just like, I'm constantly trying to figure out a way that I can bring all this back. And I think that's what these guys are going to have to do. It sucks. Mm. Fucking sucks. One of my, one of my clients, um, Tommy Banks for the uh, the Black Swan. Um, you know they they got you know Michelin star and so on, and they're now yeah. you know they're doing deliveries to people's houses. You know, and they just whatever it they, takes, having to do what they've what, whatever it takes. But who'd have thought that you know six months ago that you know one of the most talented chefs in the UK is he's had to buy a van and he's going out in his he's, van and delivering food to. You're uh, talking about guys crazy. like Tom Colicchio who spent years and years and years building this empire and it's all gone. Mm. <sighs> scary times and yeah and it's not it's not on a it's not really about you know that one chef it's about and their whole brigade uh, of people they've the got behind part. them you know they've got dozens the and part. dozens of people and it's not just they're losing their job but the, the whole industry has been decimated so you know where else can they if work? you like to hear you this know? type of talk go listen to overseasoned <laughs> podcasts overseasoned is a great podcast uh, my business partner tony and his uh Wait, wait there, Jeff, just a second. I've got a jingle for this. If you like this show, take a look at our other shows made for makers just like you. At double- right. oh, I'll stop. Yeah, overseas, they, 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 uh, <laughs> they talk a lot about, they talk about the cooks in general. They did a lot of restaurant stuff, but now they're interviewing tons of cooks and what they're doing. And they're, it's, a, it's, it's a really, really now podcast in, in regards to what's going on in the restaurant mm-hmm. business. So overseas. Nice. Cool, cool. Who who have you got, Morocco? Uh, I have actually. I have a chef as well. His name's Adam Perry Lang. He is a chef uh, now based out of Los Angeles. He has a restaurant called APL, uh, but he's also a bladesmith. Um, he's been making knives for a while. He actually at his restaurant, uh, he made all of the it, him and a friend uh, worked together to make all. I think he said uh, it was about two or three hundred knives in the first run of steak cool. knives for the restaurant. Uh, it specializes in dry age, like hundred and fifty day uh, dry age. Um, steaks tomahawk steaks and all these other crazy cuts um but i just want to give him a shout out because he had a really cool conversation on joe rogan's podcast just a couple days back uh where he actually gives a great shout out to the new england school of metalwork um where he took several classes over a long period of time uh learning the craft and getting into it um and he's it's really interesting just hearing him talk and he also goes into uh you know how all of this is affecting restaurants um in the conversation with Joe and and how it's how it's affected him personally and how he's seeing it you know go down with other friends uh in restaurants you know he's he's i think he first he, he had a place in New York called Daisy Mays which sure. is a barbecue spot and then he did uh he had a, a joint venture with uh Jamie Oliver actually over in the UK um and he's had uh, a few others i think as well before he's he's now like i said he's in LA uh he's also doing curbside um he they do a kind of uh you know buy meal buy a meal give a meal so and uh they they have a window that they actually operate so he has this really high fine dining like steakhouse um but they also do like he still works from his roots of i think from his days at daisy maze he he's i think which started as a cart 
um, where they have a service window and they just sell like simple barbecue sandwiches and stuff like that out of the window. But now they've been doing all of their curbside pickup, uh, out through that window. And, uh, and every, every time somebody buys a meal, they, they're donating to, uh, to feed, uh, the first, the frontline responders, basically, uh, doctors and nurses and everybody else. Um, so I just want to give him a shout out and also encourage people to go listen to that conversation. It was really good. It was really awesome listening to him also describe and describe um, just the his perspective on knife making and um, and the kind of like the beauty of it and the and the work and the and the the craft of it. So there you go. Cool, cool. You know, you just mentioned Jamie Oliver as well. I've got to mention that. Uh, I think I've made a, a point of it before saying that in the UK, um, J- Jamie Oliver was always on Channel 4, which is which is the network that his shows were always on. Um, but at the moment, everybody's just filming their own stuff to put up on. It's turned into YouTube TV. It's, it's just gone crazy. But the, basically, Jamie Oliver's been, been going live every day, live on, on Channel 4, um, cooking a meal um, with whatever is in his house. And it started off pretty, pretty professional. It was like, geez, he's doing it. And, it, and it's literally his wife on, on the mobile phone filming him. And this is being like live on TV. Um, and at first it was like, Jesus, this, he's doing this really well. But over the weeks, it's got, it's got worse and worse and worse to the point now where, like, if it pans down, like his wife's holding the phone. If she goes, like, down and the shot changes, you can see he's in his pajama bottoms. Like his hair hasn't been done. <laughs> his his kids are wandering in, and he was doing one the other day, and he was like, he was doing that, and he was all about like making this healthy meal, you know, for the kids and that. And his kids wander in from behind him, and they've got this like big bowl of chips. They're all eating. They're all in their pajamas eating these chips, and he's like trying to get the kids out of the shot. And this is all on the TV. That's it's funny. just the funniest thing ever. He's just seeing this guy melting down over a series of like a number of weeks at the moment. Here's the good brilliant. news. Absolutely. The good news is the restaurant industry will come back because. People are tired of eating their own food. <laughs> yes, yes. People can't wait to People get out. People are going yeah, to right. want to eat someone else's food. So that's the most important part. That's the most important part. Tell them. Yeah. Yes. We'll I want to give a little Jeff? bit of love who's to your, some guys that like case? to break their balls. The Knife Making Down Under podcast. Mert and uh, Kev guys. and Corin, they're good dudes. And if you want to participate in their mad, I mean, their fans are, it's madness. Their new thing is they want to get drunk <laughs> and they want to podcast while they drink. And if you want to participate, they do a lot on their Facebook page. That's the Knife Making Down Under podcast um, on Facebook. Yeah, go follow, go be part of that group. And I wish them the best. They're good guys. We, you know, I, they're, I'm in the tank for them, even though they don't, they don't like it when I don't drink on a podcast, but fine. That's I'm with you a hundred percent. Good dudes. Yeah. Good dudes. Yeah, they are good. And it, it is a crazy list. They just do not care. Uh, I know we talked about this at the top of the show, but Jesus, they've got no scruples. Those Aussies. You know they what the best part anything. is, is, you know, if you think about every uh, podcast kind of has like a motto or like a catchphrase. Their catchphrase is Mert saying, fuck you, Kev. That's, that's their catchphrase. <laughs> the greatest. They're like, and he, he, you can tell it like that everyone loves it when he says, fuck you, Kev. So Mert says it. This one's for the, fa-. it's like he's doing a shout out. It's like, it's like when the rock, like the rock saying one of his lines, it's like, fuck you, Kev. So yeah, I like those guys. <laughs> Fun guys. Okay. We got beef.
beefs, that part of the show where we like to uh, say what's been grinding our gears this week. Um, have you got one, Morocco? Uh, the only thing I got is, or yeah, I do. Do you guys have yeah, one? Yeah, of course. Are you kidding yeah, me? Yeah, sure. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. <laughs> Are you crazy? <laughs> I guess I, I haven't had one the last couple of weeks or so, but uh, what's been driving me the most crazy lately is uh, the my fucking internet. Uh, you know, everybody's at home using the internet, streaming all at the same time, and it really messes up the connection. And I, I want to apologize to everybody for my internet shitting out every once in a while. It even did it during this show. I don't know if it'll come through, but um, i trying to figure it out. But it's pissing me off, yeah. and it's so frustrating, and I just wish it would work. All right. <laughs> That's a good it. beef. <laughs> what do you got, yeah. Craig? Mine is fucking Ted. My dog Ted. So oh. he, uh, he's normally such he's normally such a good dog. He's a little Jack Russell. Um, normally such a good dog, but um, I've been trying to make the garden a bit more sort of habitable for for our kids. Um, so I've had this like you know the, the fake grass, like the you know well fake grass. I've I've had rolls of it here for ages, and I'm like one day I'm going to get around to laying some of this in a corner. You mean like plastic grass? To, to, yeah, yeah, but it, no, the artificial stuff. No, it, it is plastic, but. Yeah, you'd never think it was plastic anymore. It looks like real, gl- oh, real grass. Oh, but it is plastic. You know, it's oh, it is plastic. But they actually put um um like dead bits of real grass <laughs> in, so you know the brown bits of real grass, and it it looks incredible. You, you you'd think it was real, but there's no way of knowing it wasn't real. Anyway, so I finally, you know, I've, the last sort of two weeks, you know, when whenever it's been nice outside and I've had an hour, I go and do a bit and flatten in the ground and put the sand down and all these different things you need to do first. So anyway, we got this little area done, and it looks beautiful. But now the dog seems to think this is the best place to shed ever. He thinks yeah. like this, this, he thinks I've laid this especially for him. It's like oh, this fresh grass. I'm going to shit all over this. So, so every time now we're going to take the kids outside. We've got to go up and we've got to pick up all this. Shit. And the garden, you know, there's there's quite a bit of space there. You could go anywhere, but you know, you've got to go on this, you know, on the on this area especially put down for the kids to play on. So yeah, Ted. Ted, the shit bag is uh, right. is my beef. Ted this likes week. to have a shit on a nice, clean plastic carpet. <laughs> yeah, Gross. basically. Yeah. <laughs> I my beef this week is with people on the internet who are doing something that's driving me a little bit crazy. And this is not political. This is both sides of any political. This is people trying to be clever. And it doesn't really matter what side of the story you're on. People always do this. They'll find a meme or they'll find some like well put together, you know, political or social uh, expression. And they'll say, ha, I'm going to put this on my page or my whatever. They'll put it on their thing. And then they'll think to themselves, they're all excited because they're taking a stance. And then they'll say, why don't I figure out a way to make this better? I'll add to it. So then they'll add something to it, and it's just like, fine, I understand. Like, here's an example. I had one guy who put on a quote from Ben Franklin or whatever about, you know, whatever. And then he added something. And then he started to – and then when you read it, you're like, oh, that's spelled wrong. Oh, that's spelled wrong. That's Because what happens is also people start to th- – you think that people think that you've created this, and you haven't. You're not smart enough. So please, please just just leave it alone or spell everything correctly. Personal libraries is not personal liberties. 
and use your spell check and you know, because it makes it much more effective. Here we go. Here we go. In these times when everybody's taking to Facebook and putting up their memes and so on, don't send them to Jeff. Well, you can send them, but it's just like, you know that in your mind, you think some of these people are going to think, wow, he's really smart. But you didn't do it. It's not an original thought. Yeah. You don't have an, you have an original thought. Use some critical thinking, but don't tag it with bad spelling and grammar. There, there were some, it just loses some it people, especially I'd say maybe the older generation on Facebook, where they don't actually create anything. They just repost shit. And it's generally like semi-racist or, you know, it's, it's got some sort of political bent to it. But, yeah, if you look at their feed, they generally don't, haven't posted anything original. It's just reposting, like, actually, whether they're memes or these, you know, these, these crappy things. It's Which is, crazy. you know what, if that's your decision, it's fine, but... You're trying to pass it off as like it's your own original thought, which it's clearly not. But then you're destroying your whole position by like, you know, spelling incorrectly. Personal libraries. Oh, get the fuck out of here. No one cares about your personal libraries. P- get, look up hashtag personal libraries and it'll come right up. I guarantee you. Fucking personal libraries. Right. That's a show. Well, that was a mammoth show. Two and a half that hours. That was a long one. Wow. There you go, Vault. Wow. Thank you all very much for listening. We shall speak to you again next uh, next week. Every Monday we put out a new episode. Um, subscribe on your favorite podcasting uh, app, whether that be Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, wherever it may be. Subscribe, give us a review, give us a rating. We appreciate it all. And we shall speak to you all very soon. Bye for now. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.